everybody, and welcome to episode 53 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Tonight, we are recording on October 15th, 2017, and if you listened to our last episode, you might know that we're trying out, we're testing a little bit of new show format stuff. We're hitting our one-year anniversary, so we're getting a little experimental with some of our show formats. Last week, we did a cold open where we talked for a few minutes, did the intro theme, and then we proceeded with banter so we could try to get like a more organic opening. This week, we're going to try something else. We are going to jump right into Games Talk, first and foremost, after I get done with this really long, uh, dumb intro. So if you want to hear the Games Talk and you don't care about the banter or any of the bullshit that Brad and I usually talk about, you can just start here and listen. And what we'll do is put the banter at the very end of the show. So we can dive in, get the Games Talk out of the way, and if you're a listener that likes to listen to Brad and I talk about uh, stuff that we were doing this week or job stuff or if you want to hear me talk about photographing skateboarders and parkour dudes for the 450th time then you can just stay till the very end and you can listen to that stuff at the very end how does that sound brad i think that sounds like a plan let's do it and also if you like that idea if you hate that idea if you like the last show where we started with a little bit of cold open banter or if you liked our format that we did for like the first 51 episodes. Original recipe is what we call it. Original recipe. <laughs> the original recipe. So video <laughs> games. Um, please uh, don't be afraid to write in. Uh, you can email us. We do uh, describe at the very end of the show. Well, kind of not anymore at the very end of the show, but we'll talk about uh, the email address, the Twitter account that you can uh, write into or leave us a comment on the Game Critics webpage um, and kind of tell what, what preference you like because we can... Brad and I are flexible people. We can uh, switch it up anytime, anytime we record. We can do whatever we want. You want to know why? Because this is our show, and we can do whatever we want. But if this is your first time here, and you are very confused about me talking about our twelve hundred different show formats that we've been uh, that we've been trying, I probably owe it to you to introduce ourselves and say thank you and welcome aboard for listening. Uh, my name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of the show. The other lovely gentleman here with me is Brad Galloway, who is the editor of Game Critics. Hey, Corey. I am fired up, man. I am ready to go. I'm excited to try this new format. Good. Me too. Me too. So uh, without further ado, are you ready to jump into Games Talk right here, Brad? I'm ready, sir. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. You have some check-ins for us for this week, uh, so why don't you just dive in and we'll get going. All right, cool. So this is going to be kind of a weird week uh, for So Video Games because most of my time this week has been spent playing a game that I'm not allowed to talk about. So ordinarily, <laughs> and it sucks, it sucks, right? Like, I've been spending most of my free time, which is already pretty limited, on something which I think is a really awesome game that I would love to talk about. And I think it's, it's kind of unfortunate that the publisher doesn't want anybody to talk about it because I think this game is um, pretty unknown. I think it could really benefit from some good buzz. And I think that they are really, really kind of um, betting the farm that they're going to get enough attention when this game launches uh, because they're only letting reviews go up, I think, the day of or the day before launch. 
So that's not a lot of buzz. I guarantee like nobody's heard of this game and I think it's really good. I think it's worth looking at. Um, but they do not want any pre-release buzz. And, I mean, I guess on the one hand, they're afraid that people are not going to like this game, but I think this is a really quality game. I think it's really good. I think somebody would have to be a real asshole not to like this game. <laughs> so, and assholes are out there. It's true. It's true. Somebody's going to dump on this game, but, but by that same token, anybody can dump on any game. I mean, any game under the sun, no matter what game it is, there's somebody out there who hates that game. So you cannot avoid that. And I think they're probably making a mistake by not letting me talk about it and not letting other people talk about it early. But that's their choice. And I'm under embargo, so I cannot discuss it. But I will talk about it in another either week or two weeks. It may be <laughs> next episode. It may be the episode after. Um, but I will definitely talk about it. Can't talk about it now. And because I cannot talk about it now, the time that I did have available to spend on games um, for this show was real limited. So this week, I just have a couple of check-ins, but hopefully this will be interesting enough to kind of carry us through. Corey, you've got some good content, so I'm looking uh, looking to you to kind of uh, close the show out with some really juicy stuff. But for right now, let me get to my first check-in. Um, Hold on, so, before you get started, can I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, I, I'm already going to interrupt you because I'm a jerk. Um, I just want to say that although the fact that, and this is more for like listener perspective and not really because I'm going to be preaching to the choir with you, but like, uh, although you have a game that you've had for a while that you haven't been able to talk about and won't be able to talk about for a week and a half, will you just take a second to talk about what a blessing it is to get a review game, not the fucking day before the game comes out? Because that happens, like, most of the time we get review codes. Like, how nice is it to have a review code, like, a month before the game comes out? Oh, yeah. I mean, that is, like, really a blessing because, you know, every publisher wants a bunch of reviews up on Metacritic the day they launch. And, you know, Metacritic is really good about getting those reviews when they come out. So it's really up to the, uh, the writers to get that stuff up. But really, we can't do our jobs unless we have that code ahead of time. I can't tell you how many times somebody will, um, a PR person will send me a code, like maybe like, let's say, let's say like three days before launch. And it'll be like some game that's like 20 hours long, right? Or something like that, or even longer. They'll send it to me like on a Wednesday and like releases like on a Friday. Send it to me on Wednesday morning. It'll be like Friday morning. Like, is, is are you ready? Is it up? Is it up? <laughs> like, motherfucker, you just gave me this game two days ago. Plus, I got a life. Plus, I'm married. Plus, I got kids. And not even just me. I mean, I know my schedule is busier than most. But like for most people, uh, you cannot devote like 20 or 30 hours in like two or three days if you have a. I mean, like you'd have to just stay home and not be doing anything else. And you probably would have a bad experience because like squeezing that much time into that short of a period just guarantees you're going to kind of burn out. So I think a lot of publishers have some really unrealistic expectations. Uh, thankfully, most of them don't get upset when you, you know, don't hit a deadline um, when they give you that little lead time. But it is, like you said, Corey, it is a real blessing for us to get a code like a month beforehand or even two weeks before. And I think two weeks is a pretty good time because that's, you know, usually enough time for most games, unless it's like some huge RPG or something. And then we can you know, get the, get all our uh, reviews written, have it edited, get some nice images up there, have it ready to roll, hit publish on the, in the morning that it's, it's ready to go. I love doing that. I wish I could do it all the time. I wish people got us code early more often, but it seems to be happening less and less these days. I don't know why. I mean, I think probably part of it is that the publishers themselves don't get the codes uh, from you know Sony or Microsoft until it's been through their process, and that eats up a lot of time. So I can't I cannot lay the blame on the publisher. I mean it's 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 a multi stage process, but it would just be better for everybody involved if we could have more than three days before uh, 
before our review is due. And, and sometimes, you know, like I, I remember a couple weeks ago, we got a review code from a game that was like the day of, like it released that morning and we got code that afternoon. And they're like, when's, when's review coming up? <laughs> like you just gave it to me. You literally just gave it to me like three hours ago. What do you, th- like you can't even <laughs> physically finish the game in three hours. What are you talking about? So anyway, yeah, it is a blessing to get code um, ahead of time. It's very true. So, um, talking about my first check-in of the night, Etrian Odyssey 5. I talked about this last episode. I've been putting some time into it, uh, but not like a ton of time because I've been uh, occupied with this other game. And plus I've been playing something else, which we'll talk about in a minute, but it's, it's a pretty good bedtime game. So I get like, you know, an hour or two in at bedtime and then, uh, I'll just kind of chip away at it like that. I am still allowed to talk about the game in a preview sense. So everything that I'm saying here is in a preview sense. But, uh, man, where to start? So I've been talking to some (laughs) other reviewers. We've been kind of like um, kind of comparing notes. I know a couple of people who are good friends of mine who are also reviewing this game. And we're kind of comparing notes. And I got to say, it seems like a real reboot for the series in some ways. I mean, I, I kind of mentioned last episode that it, um, Etrian Odyssey does not seem to have all the bells and whistles that previous games in the series have had. Um, so this is Etrian 5. If people are not familiar with Etrian Odyssey, this is a dungeon crawl RPG where there's very little story. Most of the emphasis is on systems, party management, um, combat, and being in a dungeon. This is also the game that's really famous for having the player draw their own map on the bottom half of the 3DS, the touchscreen half. On top is the gameplay. On the bottom is where you use the stylus to draw a map, which is really fun, really satisfying, really uh, enjoyable. Maybe it sounds like a drag, but it's actually really fun. I really like that use of the, of the, the touchpad, and I think that taking a break from the combat to draw a map really peacefully at your own pace and then to go back to the combat when you're ready to is a really good balance. It makes that game have a kind of a feel all its own. Really appreciate it. I, I love the Etrian series. I've played all, literally have played all of them and finished all of them, which is no small feat. So I've been playing Etrian Odyssey 5. I, I do like it. I think it is very solid. I mean, no entries in this series ever disappoint. They're all really good. And they're probably the best dungeon crawlers out there. I'm just going to put that out there. This series is probably the best dungeon crawler out there. Like, you know, that's not, there's no, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? The, uh, there's no ah, qualifications. Thank you. Me. Yes. Thank you. Me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) There's no qualifications. I think Etrian is probably the best dungeon crawler out there. So anyone in the series is a winner. That said, of course, within the series itself, some are better than others, right? I mean, they're not all the exact same game. So I think... Etrian 4 was amazing. It had so many cool new features and so many twists and turns. I thought it was a really fresh feeling. Really felt like the developers took a step back and kind of added a lot of new ideas and just changed things up. I, I, I like that one a lot. So far, Etrian 4 is my favorite. And Etrian 5 feels like they just walked all of that stuff back. It feels like it's a real back-to-basics, simple, not a lot of bells and whistles... Um, just real kind of like back to square one sort of thing, which is not terrible. I mean, if this would be somebody's first experience with the Etrian series, I mean, I think that would be fine. But for me, who has played every single one in the series, I'm like, oh, like all the cool stuff is gone and this seems like a reset and I'm not really sure why. 
Um, I didn't think it was that complicated to begin with, so it seems strange that they kind of um, eliminated a lot of the features that I liked in Etrian 4. Also, um, I do have to say that there's one thing that was kind of nagging at me as I was going through the game. Um, okay, so to, to set this up, in Etrian, you, you create your own party. You have a bunch of different party archetypes. You pick whatever party you want. You can have any combination. You can have like five healers or five attackers or, you know, one magic user. and one, I mean, whatever. You mix and match party, whatever you want. And then you go into a labyrinth and then you just start hacking up dudes and getting experience, right? So like the more experience you get, the more skills you unlock, the more skills you have, the better you are, the longer you survive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody knows how this works. So I'm playing Etrian and I'm like, huh, I've been playing this game for like literally like eight hours and I don't really feel like my party is in good shape yet. And I've played these games before. I am no stranger to the series. I've played other JRPGs and I know how this shit works. Like I, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I know what the fuck's going on here. I'm not a, a noob. I'm not new to this stuff. So <laughs> I'm sitting here playing this game and I'm just like, man, it feels like it's taking forever for this to get going. It feels like it's taking a really long time. I mean, by the, I mean, just like, like eight hours is a long time to put into a game to, to not even feel like your party is popping yet. You know, like you don't have all the skills that you want to have. You don't, you don't have like, um, you know, cool abilities I mean, to give you an example, like, when you start Etrian Odyssey, um, your healer, when you get your healer, what they can do is attack or block. That's it. That's all they have. Anybody you have starts with fuck all nothing. So, like, when you go into the dungeon the first time, um, they'll give you, like, like, three experience points to put into, like, a power, but that's not enough to get anything going. It's like, the first experience point unlocks the skill, and then the second one, you know, makes it a little teeny bit better. And so, like, it's, you don't have anything. Like, your healer will not have a revive spell. They won't have, like, a purify spell or, like, a, you know, a, a poison antidote spell. They'll, they won't have anything. And so, like, you got to just, like, go in the dungeon, last as long as you can, come back out, uh, you know, sleep at an inn to get your health back, go back to the dungeon, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. It's usually not a big deal because, you know, you start killing guys and you start leveling up and things are fine. You get your skills unlocked and then you get real strong and you keep going. But this felt like it was taking for fucking ever. And I was just like getting really frustrated. So I was talking to a reviewer friend of mine and he's like, oh, don't you know about the DLC? And I'm like, no, I don't. What's the DLC? So apparently um, I must have missed this. And it was not in the PR materials. I went back to check when we got the code and the code uh, email didn't say anything about this. But there is a DLC add-on coming, I think. Well, it's like the. Well, anyway, it's it's the end of October where you get an item when you equip this on a person. It gives them three times the experience and you can get that for like two bucks. So I'm sitting here thinking, huh, it can't be a coincidence that it feels like I'm earning fucking no experience playing this. And there's going to be a DLC item that will like triple the experience I'm getting, which will probably bring it back up to what it should be in the first place. So I was a little upset about that. There's also an item that you can get as DLC, which lets monsters drop rare materials 100% of the time. And that's really important because you unlock new weapons and new pieces of armor by getting those rare drops. So if there's an item that lets you get those drops 100% of the time, that is a huge time savings. I mean, like your farming time will be cut down by so much. I was really kind of pissed. I was really kind of pissed when I found out about this. 
Um, first off, because PR didn't tell me about it. Second of all, because it even exists. Because, like, if someone's buying this game for full price, why the fuck should they pay another couple bucks to get something that brings it up to, like, a normal speed of play, right? And I'm sure that some people are going to say, well, it's set at the normal speed, and that's the way it's supposed to be, and if you want to, like, save time, then you pay a couple extra bucks. I disagree. I feel like this game has been slowed down a lot. I've played all of these. They're not this slow. Like, it doesn't take this long to level up, and I'm really just... I'm. I'm kind of, I got a kind of a sour taste in my mouth right now um, because I just feel like if, if I don't pay this DLC and I keep playing it at the pace that I'm playing it at, it's going to take me 150 hours to finish this game. And just to be perfectly frank with you, I don't want to put that much time into it because, <laughs> you know, because I don't live forever, you know, like I'm not a vampire who can play games for like the next three centuries. So, but boy, how cool if I was, um, yeah, so I'm I just I'm kind of at a point where I'm like, okay, well I feel like I already know what this game is about. I've played all these games before, it's very familiar. There's no new twist to it. It's kind of a walking back to the original formula. Plus, it plays a lot slower than I would like, and these games already play really slow. So feeling a little frustrated by this. Um, the review is not written, and I don't know exactly how I'm gonna come down on this at the end, but I am for sure gonna mention this in the review. And uh, I just feel kind of icky about the whole thing, to be honest with you. So they're essentially like implementing what would traditionally be like a free to play model into a full price release. I mean, I don't know if you would call it so much as free to play, but I think that it significantly alters the game mechanics. I mean, if you pay two dollars and get something that will give you triple the experience permanently, I mean, depending on who's using that item. I mean, I don't know if that counts as free-to-play, but I feel like that is a significant alteration of the gameplay balance, gameplay mechanics. I mean, if you have to fight 10 battles to level up once or you have to fight 30 battles to level up once, I feel like that's a that's a pretty big difference. Um, one other thing I forgot to mention was that there are a bunch of characters that are going to be added to the game as DLC, which I feel like is kind of bullshit because... There are, I mean, the series is traditionally known for having a lot of variety when it comes to characters. And, you know, there are, there are a fair number to choose from, but they weren't like DLC before. And now they're DLC. Like if you want to get like the combat medic, that's like two bucks. If you want to get the, um, whatever the sniper, that's like two bucks. And I'm like, what, what, the f what the fuck? Like, why is all this stuff DLC? Like, I don't, I don't get why Atlas is doing this because I don't traditionally think of Atlas as a nickel and dime publisher, but that is really how I'm feeling right now. So I don't know, man. I'm not feeling too good about this. Do you know how much the game is full price? Uh, you know, honestly, I don't. I'm guessing it's probably 40 bucks. I can look it up real quick. Why don't you sing a song or something while I look it up and we'll <laughs> see what's happening? Well, I, I mean, I was just going to say, like, I mean, I could understand maybe if they say if their games are traditionally like forty dollars or fifty dollars and then this time around they're like hey we're gonna put out a game that's like twenty dollars like significantly cheaper but we're gonna make you pay like kick like a couple extra bucks in here and there if you want like an experience that we traditionally would have be like double the price but if they're charging the same price they usually do for a gameplay experience and then like dwarfing you and making you go back and put like two dollars here two dollars there two dollars there to get like some extra stuff in then like I feel like it, I mean, like $2 seems like an, such an insignificant amount of money that you would think that they would just like 
sell the game for $10 more and just put all that stuff in there, uh, unless they're selling it cheaper this time around and making you pay a little bit extra to get that stuff. That's like the only way I can rationalize this. So no, it's, I found the listing. It's going for a full, I mean, full price as far as 3DS is concerned. It's going for a full $40, which I think is, I mean, the norm as far as 3DS goes, as far as I know. Um, and so I got the list of the DLC. There's a, I mean, there's a couple of things that are just like ridiculous that you don't need, like uniforms or whatever. That's stupid. But there's, so $2 for a protector class, $2 for a medic class. There's uh, $2 for a quest which comes with a three times experience item. There's another quest that comes with the item that raises enemy drop rate to 100%. There's another uh, $2 for the gunner class. And then there's $5 if you want to add a music player function, which I think <laughs> most games usually fucking have. So in addition to the 40, if you if you only get the stuff that alters the gameplay and the new characters, that's what? Two, four, six, eight, ten. That's 15 extra dollars. So... $55 if you want all of the stuff that should go in it and if you don't get the other like stupid uniforms or whatever so I don't know I feel I, I don't know I don't know how to feel about this I feel I feel kind of bad about this I think um, I wish they would just charge extra five bucks or charge an extra ten bucks and not nickel and dime people because I feel like the game in its current form I feel like it has suffered um, for doing this so I can't say that definitively. Maybe people will argue this is the traditional E-Train experience and this is how it's supposed to be and that you don't need these other things. But after spending, you know, eight or ten hours grinding and grinding and grinding and feeling like my characters are still not where I need them to be, I I would argue that. I think this game has been altered. So, uh, in a preview sense, in a preview sense. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that's my check-in on E-Train. Um, I got to be perfectly honest. I don't think I'm going to finish the game by the time I review it. There's just no way. I just don't have that much time. I have like so many other games to get to. And if all I'm doing is grinding, that's not a good use of my time. So uh, I will probably not check in on this again. I'll probably just put out the review when I put a couple more hours into it. And uh, I'll probably call it good. You know, I was thinking the other day, um, and I was thinking about this in respect to a game that I'll be discussing later on the show. But um I don't know if it's a product of being a little bit older than I was, you know, because I mean, I'm my like, whenever I was doing a lot of gaming, I mean, I started playing video games and I was like, sit like five or six years old. And I was playing a lot of games, you know, in middle school and high school when I was like, you know, 13 to 18. And I mean, I still play a lot of games now. And I don't know if it's a product of me being older, or if it's a product of the fact that uh, there's been like, maybe like a, a renaissance or like a like a surge of games that are not that long lately because like lately you know i've been getting into like narrative adventure games and like you know games that are that can be anywhere from like one and a half hours to like three hours and like you know we've talked about on the show before like you know loving a short a short like a short like concise experience that doesn't have any fat or any bullshit is is a good experience and for the first time in my life lately i've been thinking about how like every time i play a game if i get to the end of it you know thinking quite frequently unless i'm really really in love with the game thinking quite frequently like man this game would really benefit from being shorter like if i could cut one or two hours or three hours off this game you know i would consider giving it like another point on my review score i think it would have been more well-rounded or there would have been less bullshit and i can't decide like if i if i were to like sit down at dinner with like 12 year old me and like look at 12 year old me and be like one day when you're almost 30 
you're going to be wishing all of these like you know 60 70 you know hour grand theft autos and metal gears and stuff that you're playing um you're gonna wish that they were like three hours long like earnestly wish that like i don't know how i would take that but i feel like this game is kind of a small jumping off point for that discussion where like you know they're like maybe whenever we were kids there wasn't a such thing as a game being too long but now like i don't like games that overstay their welcome at all unless i'm just super duper in love with like their mechanics and story and stuff no absolutely i mean we've talked about that a million times i mean that is that is absolutely something i believe in when a game runs out of ideas it needs to end and so many games just don't have that many ideas to begin with and they just go on and on i mean i would much rather have a game end soon and leave me wanting more than to go on and on and on and have me feel <laughs> sick of it by the end i mean and that you know that's like a truism about people like you know that's that um you know old chestnut from like people on like a uh, you know broadway or whatever like actors or whatever they leave them wanting more you know leave them wanting more don't overstay your welcome you know, get out while people are still in love with you. And then they'll they'll think fondly of you. They'll want more. They'll be like, oh, I wish there was more. You know, that's a good... It's, you want people to think, I wish there was more, rather than, oh, God, I was so fucking done with that. Like, <laughs> you know, like, absolutely. I just... It, it kind of makes me think of the new... What is it? Sh Sh not Shadow of Mordor. What is the new one? War for Mordor or whatever? The, the new Middle Earth game that just came out, uh, you know? Shadow, Shadow of War or something? I don't know Shadow... what the fuck it's called. I don't know either. You know what I'm talking about. The I new, know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, Middle Earth, more, more, more is what it's called, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm talking to people who are playing it, and they're like, oh, my God, like, the tutorial's, like, 15 hours long, and there's so much, <laughs> and there's so much stuff to do, and I'm drowning, and I don't know where I'm supposed to go, and there's, I mean, that, to me, sounds like something that could have really benefited from, like, whoa, like, he's back. Like, you don't need to make your game 8,000 hours long. Like, <laughs> like, I get that's okay for some people, but, like... I don't know, man. I mean, I, I don't mean to, like, sound mean or anything, but, like, if you're the kind of person that wants, like, an 8,000-hour game because you got nothing else going on in your life, like, I kind of feel bad for you. Like, there should be other things in your life. Like, I love games. have loved games for decades. I mean, that's probably one of the most important things in my life. But there's other things in my life, you know? Like, it's not just games. I mean, I can't imagine... I can't imagine, like, I don't know. I, I just can't imagine wanting an 8,000-hour game anymore. <laughs> tell that to the legion of people that still play wow on a regular basis <laughs> well i don't know i mean i don't know maybe they get social interaction out of it or they have a lot of friends or there's really positive aspects to it i mean i'm thinking of more like you know like these never-ending games where you just grind the side quests and get more experience and just play it forever without really ever talking to anybody else or not even you know not even having the social interactions of a wow or something like that i mean that to me sounds like hell honestly i would just <laughs> I don't, I don't want any games like that anymore. I really don't. So anyway, anyway, yeah. Um, that's my check-in on uh, Etrian. Ugh, uh, we'll see. Uh, what, what do you, uh, <laughs> what's the first thing you're bringing to the table, Corey? Well, I, uh, I looked through, I, I feel like I say this every single week, like, oh, there was a sale on the PSN. And guess what? The PSN is having, it might be over by the time the show goes up, but it's been having its... Um, like it's VR, PSVR, one year sale. Cause I guess I didn't even realize it, but I guess the PSVR came out around one year ago today. And so they're having like a sale on all their PSVR games and like stuff like that. And I don't own PSVR. I hope to someday, um, maybe after it sees like a price drop or something. Um, but uh, I noticed that 
Resident Evil 7, you know, it's technically a VR title. It's also technically fully playable without VR. They had some of the season pass stuff on sale and Resident Evil 7 came out in January of this year. And uh, the first DLC, they have their DLC so far, they're called Band Footage. So they have Band Footage Volume 1 and Band Footage Volume 2. And they're coming out with two more DLCs in December. Uh, which are supposed to be like really big story add-ons. And I've been interested in the DLC because Resident Evil 7 is good and I kind of want to play more of it, but I don't really feel like playing the the main story again because I've already played it twice. And um, and I saw that the DLC was on sale. So I asked um, good friend of Game Critics and VR enthusiast, uh, Dan Weisenberger, I asked him the other day, out of the two DLC packs, which one he would recommend if I were interested in like story stuff, because they come with like some mini game type um, things as well. And he recommended the second DLC. So I picked up Resident Evil 7 Band Footage Volume 2 for like, I think it was like $9 the other day. And I hadn't played Resident Evil 7 since probably like mm, February or March. Uh, and so I put it in. And uh, it comes with, it has a very kind of short um, story mission, which is kind of what I was interested in because um, I wasn't really interested in any of like the arcadey stuff. I kind of wanted just to play like, you know, see what the story had to offer, see what else was going on. And so um, I started in the story mission and just to preface Resident Evil story a little bit, Resident Evil 7, the game takes place in Louisiana, which is interesting because when I played the game, I didn't live in Louisiana and now I do live in Louisiana. So technically it takes place somewhere around where I live and uh, except for like very remote swampy Louisiana. And there is a family called the Bakers and they're very like, this makes me roll my eyes a lot because they're a very like a, like a stereotypical like backwoods southern family like whenever you see them and the game sort of sets you up to make you think that they're like that it's kind of like a texas chainsaw massacre kind of thing where they're like a house of like psychos and they're like kidnapping people but really that's not what the game is um the game is actually far dumber than that because the resident evil 7 story i think is absolute garbage and that's what i realized whenever i played this dlc is that i was interested in more story but the most interesting things about Resident Evil 7 have nothing to do with the story. And because I was playing story DLC, I was basically just rolling my eyes the entire time I was playing it. Because the story, basically, that this DLC story takes place, like, kind of right before the events of the game start happening. And in the game proper, you play as a guy named Ethan, and his wife gets, um, she's, like, kidnapped or being held hostage by this family, by the Bakers, and he, like, drives to Louisiana to figure out what's going on, to save her. Um, and I'm going to get slightly spoilery, so heads up, if you haven't played Resident Evil 7, I'm going to get a little spoilery. Um, I'll put it in the show notes when I'm talking about this stuff, so if you don't want to hear any story spoilers, um you know, like fast forward a few minutes or check the show notes, but I'm going to get, I can't, I kind of can't talk about the stuff without being a little bit spoilery. So, um, the point of the game, basically you find out at the, toward the end of the game that the proper game is that, um, Ethan's girlfriend or wife or whatever, fiance who gets kidnapped, she is working for this like bioterrorism company because who the fuck isn't working for a bioterrorism company, um, or like a, like a fighting bioterrorism company in, in Resident Evil, everybody is. And she's like, shipping she's on a boat um kind of like uh shipping this like young girl who's kind of like a experiment like a, a bio experiment 
somewhere and the boat ends up there's like the boat ends up sinking or something and she gets kidnapped and the family takes that they they find the little girl because the boat um like breaks down close to where the family lives on the waterfront and so they like take the little girl in and want to like help her and they're trying to be like a good family and the girl has these like really stupid psychic powers and she like basically like mind controls the whole family so what you think is going to be like a texas chainsaw massacre situation is really just this dumb like girl who is has some like bioterrorism like mind control powers is controlling them and the whole story is fucking dumb i hate this game story i think it's absolutely garbage but the dlc basically explores the night that they find the little girl like you play as the oldest daughter in the family zoe and she's probably like 20 or so you're sitting down to eat dinner with the family. The dad is out and he brings the girl in. I can't remember the girl's name, um, but he brings her in and you're supposed to go like, you know, kind of clean her up and give her like some fresh clothes. And she like disappears and immediately like magically mind controls the whole family except for Zoe, which doesn't make any sense because nothing in the story makes sense. And so you're basically the, the story DLC is kind of like you playing a Zoe, like hiding from the dad, Jack. And like the first time I started playing it, I like you're in the house that the normal game takes place in. And I like run upstairs and you're like trying to help Jack and his wife in, um, in like a, the bathroom and like the wife is hallucinating. And then like he starts hallucinating and then he start he like pushes you out of the bathroom and starts chasing you. And so like I turn around and I run to the end of the hallway because there's not really a whole lot of places to go. Like I tried to run to get as far away to the farthest door that I could and I try to open the door and the door's locked. And I'm like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, he's walking down the hallway. I can't open this door at the end of the hallway that's locked. And so I get treated to this cutscene where he, like, grabs her and, like, punches her. And, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is, like, a story thing. Like, maybe he's supposed to, you know, take her hostage or something or, like, tie her up. And so he, like, punches her. She falls down. And then it blacks out, and the next sequence is, like, him and the wife, like, carrying Zoe by her legs, like, down the hallway. And I'm like, okay, perfect. This is, like, definitely, like, a cutscene. And then it's like, you died on the screen. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, that was, like, a 45-second long cutscene to establish that I died. So I basically did that, like, three times because I had no idea what to do when he's, like, in the house hunting you. And it immediately went from a situation that's, like, trying to be scary and intense to a situation where I was just completely annoyed because I had no idea where to go. I wasn't sure, like, where I could hide, where I could go. And I had to sit through this, like, 45-second long cutscene, like, two or three times whenever, uh, like, it basically shows, like, her getting punched in the face by her dad, like, several times and, like, dragged down the hallway, which is just gross to begin with. Um, and... And eventually I beat it, but most of the DLC is just, like, you creeping around the house, like, hiding from the dad. And then whenever I beat it, I didn't even get the good ending. Like, the, the DLC has two different endings, and I got, like, the quote-unquote, like, bad ending, and it's like, oh, play it again to try to get other endings. And I was like, no, Resident Evil 7, I'm not going to play you again to try to get the other ending because this DLC is dumb, and your story is dumb. And somehow, in, like, the, the 10 months since playing this game, I had forgotten that the story was absolute garbage. And I'm not going to play you again. But the good news is that there is an arcade mode in this DLC called Jack's 55th Birthday that is very silly, but I really like it. It is an arcade mode where it's not unlike sort of like a mercenaries mode because Res since Resident Evil 3, I think, 
they've had kind of an arcade mode after you beat the game. Usually it's about killing a bunch of enemies in a time limit, but this one, you start in a central area and Jack, the the head of the household, the, the, the dad, he's like sitting at a table and he's like, oh, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. What are you going to feed me? In like his Southern accent. And you have to, there's like an item box and you can select what all you want to take and you have limited inventory space and there's like a shotgun and a pistol and ammo and like herbs and eventually you can earn like power up things and you have to exit the room and like literally like fight through the halls and find food. There's like chicken and there's beef and there's like a pot roast and there's like are, a are you talking about like like the same kind of like food like like in final fight you'd punch a barrel like a whole a whole roast chicken <laughs> would pop out like that kind of food or what? it is kind of, yeah it is kind of like that i mean you don't have to punch things to get them they're like out on countertops but it's literally like a plate of like chicken out on the countertop or like a bottle of like wine or something or like a birthday cake and you have to figure out where all the food items are and, and every time, and there's like a countdown in the corner. And if you kill, if you harm or kill enemies, uh, it gives you time bonuses and stops the countdown clock. So you have to balance like running through the halls to pick up food, to take back to Jack to feed him. And you have to feed him a certain amount of things until he becomes full. And once he becomes full, you the level's over. And it kind of like, you know, shows the time limit. And there's like an A, B, C, and D, or there's like an S, an A, B, C, and D, um, like, time qualifier, I think. And if you beat, like, if you get, like, an S ranking, you get, like, a cool reward or something. And it sounds so, so totally... Wait, 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 wait. So, like, hold on. <laughs> you're, you're running back and forth to get food for this fucker. But at the same time, are you, like, is people, like, hunting you? Like, are you, like, are you fighting? Or is it just, like, a... Like Benny Hill music playing in the back, and you're just, like, waka, 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 no, like, running around fighting. getting food? Oh, okay. So, like, I mean, you're, you're literally fighting off monsters and... At the same time, bringing a steaming hot plate of roast chicken back to this fat fuck at the table. That's what you're doing? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it, I realize how ridiculous it sounds. And it's, this mode is, like, not meant to be taken seriously at all. Like, it's totally silly. Um, but it's really fun and it's really stressful because you're trying to balance, like, remembering where the food is and fighting off enemies to get time bonuses. And there's some areas where there will be, like like a blue like laser pistol and you have to like pick it up and it'll kill any enemy in one shot and it'll like give you like extra time bonus so you have to like manage like well do i want to go do like the extra time bonus gun thing now or do i want to do it later and some food you can combine things like you can pick up spices and you can like combine the spice with like the chicken or the beef or you can pick up like a bag of sugar and you can combine it with the birthday cake and it'll fill him up faster if you combine things so it sounds so stupid and it is really stupid but it's really fun and it's like you know running through these hallways and trying to like get you know get figure out where's the best place to go first while fighting enemies and the combat is really hectic i mean resident evil 7 has pretty pretty intense combat and you unlock different stages so like if you get a b ranking i think on any level there's like four or five stages so once you like unlock the new level then you have to learn you know the layout of the other level and try to remember where like the pot roast that fills them up a lot is and where the spices are to add to the pot roast and i mean i i came for the story for this dlc remembered how stupid the story was and then i started playing the arcade mode stuff and i was like wow this is really dumb but it's really fun so i'm glad that i got a little bit of my money's worth out of this buying this dlc with the really stupid arcade mode that i actually ended up thinking was really fun hmm interesting I mean, it kind of reminds me of some of the, you know, semi-humorous modes that they've added to Resident Evil in the past. I mean, so that that sounds kind of okay. Um, 
But yeah, I can't say that I like the idea of like all that other violence. I mean, it may sound kind of weird saying that about a Resident Evil, but you know, in the past, it's like, oh, you shoot a zombie, you shoot a big frog monster, you shoot a giant zombie shark. I mean, that's no big deal. But like hearing about like women getting punched in the face or like I remember you talking about this game the first time where it was like you have to like shoot your fiance or whatever in the very beginning and she like cuts off your hand and whatnot, that kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. I haven't played it myself. Uh, maybe it's not that bad. I, I mean, I, I don't know. But hearing people talk about it kind of puts me off and it's already probably too scary for me to begin with. So that's just like <laughs> two real big reasons why I'm not ever going to play this game probably. Which is understandable. I mean, the the game, uh, like like the beginning thing with you, I mean, it's really kind of, I, I can't believe that, and maybe it's because it was like developed in Japan or something, that the fact that the game tutorializes weapon combat by making you shoot your fiance, and then like five minutes later, she's cutting off your arm with a chainsaw. I mean, it's really stupid, and it's really like doesn't really have, I mean, this game's not going to win any like feminism awards, like that's for sure, and I mean, the fact that if you lose in the DLC, you basically are looking through like a 20 year old woman's eyes at her dad, like punching her in the face several times. Like, it's just really like it's the kind of thing where you like I get the the feeling that like not a single woman works for Capcom. And it was just like a bunch of men in a boardroom and they're like, oh yeah, a woman getting punched in the face. Like, that's fine. No, no, yeah, yeah, like this is good stuff. But if there had been like one woman in that room who might've been like, hey, maybe it's not a good idea to tutorialize combat by making you shoot your fiance, then like maybe they could have retooled it a little bit. But it's just one of those like, I don't know, kind of like casually misogynistic things about, you know, the game industry and about entertainment as a whole. And it definitely rubs me the wrong way, but luckily the game is not full of that. It's just like in a couple of instances, but it's still like, uh, it still, you know, makes me give Resident Evil some major side eye on it. Let me ask you really quickly. I, I, so I've never played this game, but I did, you know, as the editor of the site, I have read all the reviews for all the coverage we've given it. So I am somewhat familiar uh, with Resident Evil seven, at least on a certain level. And I remember Dan, Dan Weisenberger, talking about one of the modes where you're playing, like, blackjack, but your hand is in some kind of a trap, and if you lose, like, a finger gets cut off. Did you play that mode? Is that in this mode? That, yeah, that mode is in the uh, the band footage volume two, and it's basically exactly that. You're, like, it's kind of like the Saw movies. Like, you're in a, you're at a blackjack table, your hand is in this contraption, there's somebody across from you who's who's playing blackjack with you, and they're, like, there's, like, a card um there's like a thing that keeps spitting cards out and you can say you know like oh give me another card or stop depending on how close you are to 21 and yeah it's just that if you lose like a a blade comes down the contraption and like cuts your finger off and it's really stupid like i played i played that mode once and i lost and i was like wow it's basically just like vr torture porn and that's what a lot of like, all of the story bits of Resident Evil 7, like, that's basically all it is. It seems like it's it's very much, like, they knew they were making this for VR, so all they want to do is, like, put a bunch of, like, really gross, like, gruesome stuff as close to your face as possible. And th- that's really cheesy and really dumb and very, like, gimmicky to me, so it makes me glad that I didn't play this in VR. But, yeah, that's that mode is in this DLC. It kind of reminds me of when um, people started doing 3D movies when that was really big and like every single movie at that time 
had like scenes that were very explicitly set up to like shove stuff in your face. <laughs> like I remember watching um, Dread. Have you seen Dread, that movie? I, ha- I did not see it in 3D, but I have seen it. I love that movie. I think that movie's awesome. Probably the best Judge Dredd movie ever, and there haven't really been that many. <laughs> I thought that movie was really fucking good, except for the parts where, like, you can tell, like, it is specifically a 3D thing where, like, you get, like, this extreme close-up of uh, somebody falling out a window, and it's supposed to be like they're falling straight towards your face, or, like, some glass <laughs> explodes, and, like, a thousand glass shards are going straight towards the fucking camera, and you're like, oh, man. I wish you could, like you know, buy the DVD or whatever and like play the version that's not 3D optimized so you can just watch the regular movie because it's so painfully obvious. And that's kind of what some <laughs> of this stuff sounds like, uh, kind of like what you're describing, like where it doesn't really, you know, they're doing it because they can do it, not because it really, you know, furthers the game or anything. Like it's just kind of a neat effect they can do. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's kind of what it sounds like to me. No, you're spot on. That's exactly what it is. It's It's so like hey, this is the first big AAA VR game, so let's do all of this really cheesy, gimmicky stuff and put, like, gross stuff in your face and have characters, like, stab you in the face so we can, like, put the knife up in your VR goggles. And the worst thing about all of this is that the character model lip-syncing is so bad in Resident Evil 7. I don't know how we're in 2017... And they somehow made lip syncing so bad, but it's so obvious because there's all these scenes where characters are like right up in your face talking or like screaming or shouting and their lips don't even like remotely move to where what they're saying. And it just flabbergasts me that we have made it this far in video games and the first like triple A Resident Evil uh, VR game. And I mean, Capcom is no slouch. They've got, you know, a lot of money to make these games and the lip syncing is so awful. I don't know how they managed to make it this bad, but it is so bad. Is it possible that the lip syncing is meant to match up with Japanese dialogue or no? It just seems bad. Mm, you know, I, I'm not sure. Uh, that's a good question, but it is no matter how you slice it, it's bad. So I, uh, I don't know. It's terrible, though. Like Maybe they were just ugh. expecting you to be so scared the whole time because of all the stuff being shoved up in your face. You would just, <laughs> we just wouldn't notice because you're covering your eyes because you're so, you're so, you're so scared. Uh, maybe, but it's really, I mean, it's bad. I still, I mean, I stand by liking Resident Evil 7. It is my number three game of the year so far this year, but everything in it that is not, that, that has to do with the story or forwarding the story is so stupid and so cheesy. I think this game's story is so bad, and I might be one of the only people who says that because I see a lot of praise for the story. I think the story is absolutely garbage in Resident Evil 7, but I like the gameplay. The story is just so terrible. Uh, that's, a, that's a shame. That's a shame. I mean, if you're going to do a cool game, you're going to do a good game, story is definitely part of that. And I know that a lot of people cherish Resident Evil for its camp factor, which I think is true. I mean, I, there are certainly moments of camp that I, that I enjoy, but that doesn't mean that the story overall has to be stupid. And I, I, you know, I think in general, their stories just don't really hang together. They're not really anything to write home about. I think you're kind of more living that game for the, the moments rather than the overall like narrative. So comes with the territory, I guess. I guess so. But that's it. I've, uh, I've rambled about Resident Evil 7 too much. So let's talk about some other stuff. 
All right, let's move on to my next check-in. I, You know, actually, as we were sitting here, I thought of one more game I could bring up, which maybe I'll bring up after you do your next segment, if we if we have time for it. If not, I'll hold on to it till the next, uh, next time. But for right now, I wanted to check back in about uh, Warframe, because I've been actually spending quite a bit of time playing Warframe. Uh, we talked about this last episode. Warframe is the free-to-play third-person space ninja action game <laughs> where you just go on these brief bite-sized missions and usually just kill like a thousand dudes, collect a thing or do a thing, and then go back to your ship and then just like wash, rinse, repeat. It's a pretty simple formula, but once you're past the initial stages of free-to-play menus and lack of explanation about the in-game jargon and figuring out how all the systems work, which, I mean, is a significant barrier. I don't want to downplay that because it really put me off a lot, like a couple times in a row. I tried to get into this game on my own in the past. Failed, failed, failed. Deleted the game over and over and over, but I kept coming back because I thought the art style was really cool and I was, was really attracted to it. Uh, but finally, uh, as I said last episode, made it over the hump with the help of some good people from Twitter. Started getting into it. I learned the systems, and so I am pretty comfortable with the game now. Got my wife and my son into it. We've been playing a, a lot and got you back into it. I Last episode, we said that you might be downloading the game. I believe that actually happened since we played it together today. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure you downloaded it again. And we got together for a brief uh, section. We didn't get to play as long as uh, I wanted to or as long as my wife wanted to because uh, we had a lot of stuff to do uh, getting back to the... Uh, weatherproofing discussion which will probably be at the end of this episode for those who want to hear about that <laughs> um but yeah we got a good session in so before i talk more about it Corey, um after listening to me last episode i wasn't sure if you were going to download it or not but you did you got back in and we played today for like an hour two hours whatever what did you, what did you think of warframe um coming back into it well i think um my favorite thing about it which you already mentioned is the fact that there's a lot of brevity to it. Like it's very fast paced and it's, it's the perfect kind of game for you to just like pick up, log in, play a mission or two. And it'll, you'll only sink like 10 minutes into a mission. If that, I mean, most missions can be completed in like a few minutes, unless it's like a wave shooting mission and some missions, even like after you finish the main objective, they give you the option to like, oh, hey, you can do the secondary thing if you want, but if not, you can go ahead and extract now. And I just really like how how easy it is to just get in and play a mission for a few minutes and then get out if you want to, or you can just keep playing missions back to back if you want to do that. And it's just easy and it's fluid and it's not, I mean, the free to play stuff is complicated, but the actual gameplay is not complicated. Like you have a, you have a rifle or like, you know, some kind of primary weapon. You have like a pistol slash your secondary weapon. You have a melee weapon and you're basically free to use any weapon you want at any point um, out of the three that you have equipped. Like if you want to be like the melee dude, like me who tries to like hit everybody with a staff and get out, you can do that. If you want to shoot everybody with your, you know, submachine gun, you can do that. If you want to mix them all up, you can. If you want to use your special moves, which I still don't even really know how to use, you can do that. Um... You can also customize your character with mods to get the best out of whatever kind of weapon you want to use. And the more you use a weapon, you level that weapon up um, individually. Like you level your body up and you level each one of your weapons up individually. So it's just a good like 
you know, good, fast-paced, fluid, um, you know, kind of uh, low-risk uh, game, and it's fun to play with other people, which, I mean, can be said of about any game. But, I mean, I had a lot of fun whenever I was playing with you guys earlier today, and it's definitely much easier because you guys kind of had to, like, drag my ass a little bit because I'm, like, level 2 and you guys are, like, level, like, 20 or something. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, I had a good time. It's easy to just jump in and play and the game doesn't hold anything back from you for being free, free to play. Like it doesn't, you don't play two missions and it doesn't give you a screen that says like, Oh, you have to come back tomorrow to, you know, keep playing the game. Like you can just play as much of it as you want and it's fun. Yeah. So after a session today, do you think you would be down for more or you had enough after one session or what do you, what do you what's your feeling on it? Um, I would definitely be down for more. As a matter of fact, I played, I, I can't remember if it was right after we split or if it was later in the day I played, I tried to play my next story mission, which was one of those, um, like protect the casket wave shooting missions. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and I, I failed it so hard. Like I died like four times and had to revive myself every time. And oh, no. then even with that, I like the casket still blew up and I lost and I was like, damn it, I cannot do this by myself. So I need to like, <laughs> I need to either play with you guys exclusively or do like, you know, like little side missions on my own. So that way I don't get totally owned and like the story missions, but I think it's fun. Um, I did, uh, this question is kind of a sideline question, but one thing that I, that I have a hard time with is that most of the stuff that you can put money into, and you talked about this on the last show, is like cosmetic stuff. Like, you know, the cool thing is you can you can color your dude's body any way you want, or your woman's body, and they all look they look they remind me a lot of the Infinity Blade knights. I um, mean, I think I said that a long time ago when we first talked about it, but they're kind of like abstract looking ninja warrior dudes, and you can like they have like four or five different colors. Like they have the primary, the secondary, the tertiary, the accent colors. And you can color your person however you want. You can color their the, each individual weapon however you want. You can um, equip different helmets. You can equip different like body uh, armor types and everything. But one thing that bugs me is that most of the stuff that you can put money into is cosmetic stuff. And I, you know, everybody wants their their soldier to look cool. Like you don't want to be walking around the battlefield with that like soldier that looks like a dork who's in like the you know the only like the primary base armor, which is like my dude right now. And I kept looking at the color palettes, and the interesting thing the game does is when you go to the coloring palettes, there's only, like, 15 colors you can pick from at the start, but there's probably, like, a 1,000 colors total, but you have to pay for the other color palettes. And every time I try to buy one, it's like, you don't have enough platinum to buy this color palette, but I can't find anywhere on the screen where the game tells me how much every palette costs. So it's not, it's totally, totally not user-friendly in that regard. And the only, is the only way you can get Platinum is to buy it off the PSN or can you acquire it in the game? Um, as far as I know, and you know, I'm not an expert on the game. I've only been into it for like two weeks. So there's still a lot of things that I don't know, but I'm pretty sure... The only way to apply or platinum is either the developers give it to you as a bonus for like a check-in. I don't know if you noticed, but like once a day, if you check in once a day, you'll get like a free gift from the developers. It's just like some random thing. Like sometimes it's a crafting resource. Sometimes it's a, a coupon to get like 50% off any item in the store. Sometimes it's a, a blueprint to make a gun or something. I mean, whatever. And I think that sometimes they do give you some platinum for that. But otherwise... Uh, as far as I know, and if anybody listening has other information, please let us know. 
uh, yeah, you have to just buy it for like real money in the store. Um, and I, I, I seem to recall it being on sale pretty often, but of course, now that I'm back in playing the game, it's like none of it's on sale. So it's like all <laughs> full price, but yeah, I think it's all just real money actually. Oh, that's unfortunate. Cause of course I want my dude to look really cool, but I also don't want to spend any real money on this game cause I'm terrible. Yeah. Well, you know, that, I mean, that's fair. I mean, you know, free to play, give it a shot. I've been playing like a lot in the last two weeks. So I did kick him. Like I said, in the last show, I think I spent 20 or 30 bucks. Uh, because I've definitely gotten that much enjoyment out of it so far. And, uh, you know, any free-to-play game that I really enjoy, and there's not many, but w- the ones that I do enjoy, I do definitely support them because, you know, they got to they gotta get paid. There's got to be people back at headquarters, you know, patching the game and making new content and all that stuff. So I don't feel bad about supporting it. I, I put in like 20, 30 bucks. I did buy one of the palettes. Um, so the, if, one of the good things is like when you buy one of the color palettes, it looks like there's a thousand colors to buy, but actually if you buy one, you get all of them in that um, whatever group of colors you're looking at. So that was really cool. I got a bunch of colors and colored my dude up. It looks really nice and got some attachments for his back and I got a new sword and stuff. So yeah, it's not necessary. You can certainly play the game as like the stock stock soldier. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, everybody wants to look cool. Being looking cool is definitely a big part of the appeal. So I'm glad you had fun though. And we would absolutely like to play again. I mean, we were doing some of my son's missions earlier. We'd be very happy to run through some of your missions and go through those. Um, You can certainly play the game solo. And if you were going to play solo, I would recommend saving the story missions for after you've cleared out the planet first, like maybe do all of the earth missions first and then do the story missions after that. Cause some of the story missions can get pretty hard if you're by yourself. So I would definitely say level up a little bit first, uh, but I'm glad you had fun. Yeah, we had fun too. That was a really good time. And I'm, I'm really glad that I got over the hump because I've really been enjoying jumping in. And I got to say Warframe has kind of become like my weekend game. Like over the last two weeks, it's all I've been playing on the weekend. Uh, my wife is like, oh, you want to play? You want to play? And I'm like, well, yeah, dude. I mean, if my, w- my wife's asking me if I want to play, of course I want to play. Because, I mean, how would you say no to that? You know, and my son's been joining us as well, which is really fun. Um, we have been going through clearing out um, a lot of the planets. Uh, so the way the game is designed, there's like the whole solar system with some extra fantasy planets thrown in. And then Earth is like the starter planet. There's a bunch of missions there. You clear those out. It opens up the way to like Venus you go to Venus, clear those out. It goes to like, I don't know, Mars or something or whatever it is. Um, so we were like on the fourth planet, I think. And we've been doing some of the story missions. The story missions are great because they unlock like like new stuff to do. Like one of our story missions unlocked uh, a way to get like a new companion that you can... Uh, we haven't got it yet, but if you go through a bunch of missions, you can unlock this like uh, like, like a combat dog that goes around with you, which seems pretty cool. Um, unlocks some other features in the game. And the coolest thing uh, that we unlocked tonight, this was after you, uh, after we stopped playing and we got back on a little bit later on in the day, uh, there's this thing called an arc wing, which I had heard about, but I'd never seen. Apparently it had changed some of the combat mechanics. It was one of the things that developers added um, quite a while after the game launched, and maybe like two years after the game launched or something like that. So you had to like do a couple missions first, meet some requirements, make sure that you were high enough level to do it. We got through the story missions and uh, found the blueprints, made the thing. And what it is, it's like a fucking pair of like these giant wings that you equip and then you go into like deep space and you fly around like on your own. It is so awesome. Like we we did the mission, we got in there, started flying around in space and it just looks phenomenal. Like it looks so good. 
your dude's out there. I mean, your dude looks badass to begin with. And then he's got these giant, like, metallic wings. And these jets are shooting out. And he's just, like, super streamlined. And he's, like, shooting, um, you know, between asteroids and between these, like, like big capital ships. Just like, running around. He's got this giant gun that he's, like, blowing things away with in space. And it was fucking... It was awesome. Like, it looked so cool. I was like, oh, my God. This is, like, an amazing moment. So I was really glad that we had gotten that far and unlocked that thing. We'll have to unlock that for you, too, because it was pretty dope. So... Uh, I hear there's a lot of cool stuff as you as you get further in, and I'm just really excited to check it out. I, I think for the moment, my plan is probably going to be um, Game Critic stuff Monday through Friday. Uh, and then maybe I'll just do like Warframe on the weekends, because my wife is really into it right now, and she wants to play when, when we have time. And so I think that's probably going to get the most of family time. Uh, between that and, and we were doing some Overwatch, but I think Warframe has been winning out more lately, so... Warframe weekends and probably Game Critics games during the week. Uh, and I think that's probably going to be my schedule for the foreseeable future, at least until <laughs> Monster Hunter comes out. Because, I mean, we're huge Monster Hunter fans. You know that. Anybody who listens to the show probably knows that. We're massive Monster Hunter fans. And Monster Hunter World looks amazing. We're definitely going to play that for sure. But in the meantime, Warframe is a good fit. Like, it's just, it's fun. It looks cool. It's It's good to do with people. Uh, it's, it's easy to understand once you get past the initial, like, brain-busting crypto confusion. Like, once you figure it out, like, it, it makes sense. And, uh, yeah, we just really dig it. I'm glad you got back into it, and I would love to play with you again, man. That'd be really fun. We shall do that. Absolutely. So, all right, cool. Um, just thumbs up to Warframe, and, man, we gotta get those wings. That wings part was fucking... That was awesome. <laughs> that was just looked really cool. Really, really cool. So, anyway... That's all I have to say on Warframe. Um, we have one more game, and maybe possibly two, but we'll, let's hit yours first, Corey. You've got something that I'm very, very, very excited to talk about. I saw this game, I want to say, two years ago at PAX, and I thought it looked awesome back then, and now it's out. You've played it. You reviewed it. I want to hear all about it, sir. Please do tell. All right. Let's talk about a little indie game called Echo. It is developed and published by Ultra Ultra. It came out on PC uh, just past September a month ago, and it came out on PlayStation 4 in October. I think it's only been out for like, I guess it just came out last Tuesday now that I think about it, um, so less than a week. Um, Echo is a third person, it's kind of a, it's kind of hard to explain as a matter of fact. It's kind of like a third person tactical shooter uh, developed by uh, ex-members of IO Interactive, most famously known for the Hitman games. And it stars a, uh, a woman, a very futuristic uh, female soldier uh, named N, which is spelled E-N. I'm still trying to figure out if that has some kind of like symbolic meaning for the game or not, because the other characters have regular names and her name is N, not to say that N is an irregular name. I don't want to offend anybody out there who's named N, but her name is N. She's this really like classy British space fighter woman. Um, she's in stasis. <laughs> I don't really know how to explain her, but she's like, she's like a gambler. I guess she, she describes herself as kind of a gambler. She grew up in this very, um, Upper class. She was born into this like really rich upper class society, and her grandfather, I think, founded this group of people he calls the Resourcefuls, and it's sort of like this really uh, like like hilariously rich upper class people 
who almost um, are like religious about their upbringing and about like, because she talks a lot in the game about how she was trained to like, to, for like battle and to fight and for like cunning and prowess and about how she wasn't about that life. So she like ran away from home. When she was like six or something. And then she was rescued and then she ran away again when she was like 17. And at the part, at the part, or I think when she was like 14 actually. And at, when the game happens, she's like 20 or 21, uh, somewhere in there. And she's been in stasis. The beginning of the game, she wakes up on a spaceship. She's been in stasis for 100 years. And she's on this AI controlled, uh, very sexy futuristic spaceship to try to find um, some kind of planet, some kind of structure that she thinks will bring back this man that died to rescue her named Foster. And there's an AI on the spaceship. His name is London. And he is very much, he basically reminds me of like Jarvis from Iron Man, like the AI in Iron Man suit. It's pretty much just like that because they have, because N and London have a very, um, uh, a very um, regular sort of back and forth dialogue in the game. Um, pretty much everything that's happening in the game is happening in the game. So uh, like a lot of the backstory is just told between the dialogue that they discuss while things are unfolding, but she gets to the planet, she gets to the structure. It looks very drab and futuristic on the outside. It's just kind of like this gray dusty planet. It looks like there's a lot of these like buildings, like almost like skyscrapers, but they're all the same level. There's nothing like remarkable about them. And then she gets into one of the structures and it turns out that the whole planet is housing this really elaborately designed palace that's very, um, like, everything is, there, there's, like, gold statues and furniture and really, like, plush furniture and, like, decorative flowers. And it's just this really ornate, large, like, maze-like palace that's really beautiful. It reminds me a lot of the like one of the final rooms in 2001 a space odyssey where like he's on the bed and like the floors like the led panels but it's still like decorated like a normal place like that's kind of what it reminds me of but the hook to the game is that uh, she starts exploring the palace and eventually the palace starts um making clones of her basically so she's in the palace there are clones of her patrolling the hallways and every few minutes, the palace, the lights shut off and you're kind of in the darkness for maybe like 30 seconds. And then there's a full on blackout. And when I say blackout, I mean the TV screen turns black. You can't see anything. You can't move her. You can't. It's just totally black for like three or four seconds. And then there's a noise and the palace comes back online and all the lights start coming back up again. And between that blackout and the next one every move you make as in the AI learns and then they can use those moves against you in the next round. And those moves are everything. It can be shooting your gun because she has a pistol that's, uh, it's like kind of like a one-shot kill, like energy pistol, but the ammo is really limited. It can be dashing. It can be crouching. It can be choking other clones out. It can be playing pianos in the environment, playing harps in the environment, opening doors, using elevators, connecting bridges, walking in water. All of these things are potential things that the AI can learn. So the sort of common tagline for the game is that basically you're teaching the game how to kill you because how you want to play the game is how the AI is going to play the game back at you. So you can either figure out how to limit what you're doing to make the AI kind of dumber in a way or you can kind of go balls to the wall and hope that you can really defend yourself against them or keep switching up your play style enough to where the AI is not 
uh, you're going to kind of keep the AI on its toes as much as they're keeping you on your toes. And it's totally a game like kind of like Guitar Hero I like in it too, where if you kind of make one mistake, at least when I do, um, it kind of starts snowballing into like this like oblivion of you like getting your ass kicked because you die after like two attacks in this game. So it's pretty quick unless you get let your health regenerate for a little while. So you can snowball things pretty quickly if uh, if you get detected by an enemy and if they attack you and then like it's kind of like one enemy detects you and then another one does and another one does. But the nice thing is that once an enemy sees you or a clone sees you, they don't alert other clones. So if like one sees you and you can take care of it right then and there, you're not, it's not like a thing where one sees you and then everyone on the map swarms on you, which is really nice. But if you're trying to escape them, then you become less aware of your surroundings. Another one sees you and then it kind of snowballs. But um, I, I really, really like this game. It feels super unique. It feels really fresh. It feels like something I've never played before. It feels a lot like, um, it kind of reminded me a lot of super hot last year in a way where like when I played super hot, I was, I was totally in love with it. I still am totally in love with it because it really felt like something I had never, ever played before. And although super hot is better and it's more, I think it's more original and more interesting and paced better. Um, echo kind of reminds me a lot of that. Um, Brad, do you have any questions or anything? Um, I mean, it sounds Interesting. I mean, I had my eye on this title for a while. I think it looks very stylish, and I think the concept is really cool. Um, and you're probably going to talk about this, but I, I kind of just, I mean, my first instinct is like, okay, but then what happens? Like, this to me sounds like the perfect kind of like four-hour experience, but it's not four hours, is it? No, it took me about seven hours on the dot to complete it the first time. And did you feel like the game held your interest all the way through? Like, what I mean, I guess how is an experience like that supported for that long? Like, not to be like a naysayer, but I mean, <laughs> I hear that you, I hear you saying that the clones copy what you do, and that sounds very cool, and it looks very cool. But then I'm like, but, but like, but then what? Like, it seems <laughs> almost limited, you know? Like, like what else happens? Like, what else? I mean, without spoilers, but I mean, gameplay wise, like, the, do you feel like it goes interesting places, or like, like how does it develop over the course of the game? Well, it feels, it definitely goes some interesting places. And this is the kind of game where, like, they have the central mechanic, they have the AI copying thing. And then basically, the most they, and this is kind of the same for Super Hot, too, because Super Hot's main thing was like time moves when you do. If you move your character faster, everybody else moves faster. And so, whenever you have a central core gameplay mechanic like that, the most you can do around it, or what seems to be the most people can do around it, is just create very interesting levels to support that. And Echo does that for most of the game because um, every level is almost it's almost like a board game where like you're in the level and you have the whole board in front of you and you have to figure out how to navigate it in a way where you can try to be because I went for stealth most of the time. I tried to crouch behind things. There's no cover system, but you can crouch. Um, and if you crouch close enough behind something, then the echoes usually don't see you. So, like, I was crouching a lot. I was moving, trying to move very carefully, trying to survey my surroundings a lot and try to look at where the echoes were. Because if I could remain undetected, I would try to stay undetected as long as possible. Because if I became detected, usually that, like I said earlier, kind of snowballed. But there's a lot of interesting levels going on. Because at the beginning, you know, a lot of the levels, it's just, like, a lot of hallways and maybe, like, some two-tiered levels where there's, like, some stairs and there's like some balconies that you can kind of jump on, jump off to get back below you. But you have to be careful because if you decide to jump off the balconies and you're going to teach the echoes how to jump off the balconies. 
and uh, and then later on that like it introduces water and there's like a section where you're in like this bathhouse kind of area and the echoes won't step in the water until you step in the water and so you have to try to balance like where you're going and if they remembered how to walk on water from the last uh, wave because every two wave or every wave they reset so like if you're walking on water and the next wave they're going to walk on water but if that wave you don't walk on water then in the following wave they will forget how to walk on water so you have to like remember what all you're doing and then like later on it introduces elevators and like suddenly you have to decide if you want to take elevators and then or basically you're kind of coerced into taking elevators and you have to remember that you're going to teach them how to use elevators and it's kind of like that like it's kind of like for the most part every sort of level kind of introduces like a new way to teach the echoes how to do something new and it just kind of adds one more layer of game of gameplay complexity onto what you're doing because at the beginning you know maybe it's just running sneaking and shooting but by the end of the game it's running sneaking shooting playing pianos playing harps uh jumping off stuff climbing up stuff using elevators using bridges using doors i mean you even have to teach them to open doors like there's a lot of doors where there's a door or there's like a little opening next to it where you can vault over to get into the room and you have to remember that it's probably not smart to teach them how to do both of those things because if you want to get in the room and try to limit the amount of the amount of people that can get in the room with you, then you don't want to teach them how to open doors and how to vault over things because then they're going to be twice as likely to get in the room with you. But eventually the game runs out of steam a little bit because toward the end, um, I'm going to keep this as spoiler free as possible, but it's one of those games where once it has kind of exhausted all of its ideas, it just starts getting harder. And I don't really like when games do that. I mean, it's kind of a thing that you know, you would expect a game to do. Because, I mean, the game is not easy. Like, it's... But it's not super, super difficult until the last, like, maybe, like, five levels. And because of that, I feel like it's about two hours too long. And I feel like it gets a little bit too hard at the end. And I feel like it starts running out of ideas a little bit and just kind of ramps up the difficulty to to say, like, oh, well, we want to keep the challenge up, we want to keep it interesting, so therefore we're just going to make it harder, and I don't really think that's the correct way to go about it, and I might be wrong, I mean, there might be other people who play this game, and maybe the challenge is, like, perfectly curved for them, and by the end of the game, they think they're equipped well to handle all the stuff that, you know, the last handful of levels throws at them, but it's one of those games where I I absolutely loved it, and then it went on about two hours too long and it got a little bit too hard and too frustrating at the end. And I liked it less whenever I was finished with it. But I still think it's excellent. But it just goes on a little bit too long and it gets a little bit too hard for my taste. Interesting, interesting. I'm having, a, I mean, I got to say, most of the time when we talk about games, when you bring up a game that I haven't played, you know, I can pretty easily get the gist of what you're talking about and I can envision that in my head. And I'm trying to imagine this in my head and I'm just kind of failing. Like, I just don't understand, like, what you're doing for most of the time. Like, you're just running around and hiding. and I mean, I, I mean, you don't have to go into it again because I feel like you covered it really well. I think it's just a failing of my imagination to to get, like, what is going on. It's, I mean, it sounds very fascinating. I, I definitely want to play this. I don't have time to play it now. Hopefully I will have time to play it before the end of the year. Um but if not, I mean, I'll get to it at some point, but I'm just like, man, I mean, interesting hook, but I, I, my brain is asking like, yeah, but what else do you do besides that? So I'll have to, I'll have to play this as soon as possible. Um, it sounds like there are some difficulties and it sounds like, um, you know, as we kind of mentioned earlier that games should end when they run out of ideas rather than just going on and on, 
Would you would you recommend it to people based on your total experience? I mean, they can read your review at Game Critics. Your review is up. But would you would you recommend it to people? And if so, who would you recommend it to? What kind of a player do you think would like this? I would absolutely recommend this. Uh, no question. I would recommend this. And I feel like anybody who has played like a tactical shooter in any respect or anybody who's played a Hitman game, because although it's developed by ex-Hitman developers, it does not feel like a Hitman game, but it has a little bit of the essence of, like, walking around and hiding that old Hitman games kind of had. Um, I don't think I would recommend this to somebody who likes, you know, like, Call of Duty, and, like, that's their first-person shooter of choice, where you're just, like, running through, like, shooting things. Because this game... Like, I mean, much like Superhot, this game looks like a third-person shooter on the surface, but it's that's absolutely not what it is. I mean, it's a, it's a tactical game where you really have to think about what you're doing, and you have to try to plan ahead, and you have to, tr- you have to try to survey, you know, the surroundings, and you have to use things in the surroundings and really plot your course and exactly what moves you make in order to um, try to get the most success out of it. So if that's something that feels like it'll appeal to you, like really having to, like, strategize and think about what you're doing and not only think about where you're going, but exactly how you're getting there um, and what kind of moves you're using, because you have to keep in mind that they're the clones are going to learn the moves that you're doing and use them against you. Um, I mean, if that sounds like something you are interested in, then this game is probably for you. And I also feel like um, this is a slight side note, but whenever I was playing it, I was kind of getting these major vibes and part of this is because the way the camera is set up in the game, part of it is the level design, um, and part of it is, like, the character design, I think, and the pacing, is that this game kind of, sort of, and I don't mean this as a bad way, I actually kind of mean this as a compliment, um, it feels like a game that would have existed in, like, the early 2000s that would have come out and everybody would have said, oh, it's an interesting idea, but, like, it's not executed very well. And it kind of seems like, and I know this probably isn't the case, but it seems like a really good idea that somebody had in, like, 2001 or 2002. And they kind of, like, waited for game console hardware to catch up to their idea to implement it. Because it is kind of a simple concept. I mean, you do stuff, the AI copies it, and then you kind of react to it. Um, so it, it's got kind of like a late nineties, like early two thousands vibe about it, but I still, I mean, that's not, like I said, it's not like a derogatory remark, but it's just interesting. Like it feels like the kind of game that would existed back then that maybe didn't want to throw everything in the kitchen sink in, you know, it didn't want to be an open world shooter. It didn't want to be, you know, all of this and that it just kind of like, it like has its plan and it's sticking to it. And that's what it is. One thing I want to clear up really quick that I guess I'm not, a hundred percent crystal on. So like when you say, excuse me, that the AI will learn to do it. Now, does that mean that one of the characters has to actually see you doing it? Or is it like, if you just ever do it in the level, like there's some kind of like, uh, omniscient AI that picks up that you did that move. And then all of a sudden the clones can do it. Like, do they have to witness you doing it? Or does it just happen that they will just know? They do not have to witness you do it. The palace itself has uh, like an AI scanning system that records every move you do. And in the game, it's actually represented by, there's like a, like say if you vault over like a waist high object, there'll be like a little, a little noise cue happens and a little silhouette of you appears doing that, um, 
doing that action that lets you know that the palace has recorded it. And the same thing happens like if you cra- if you move too much while you're crouched, eventually a silhouette of you crouching is going to pop up where you know wherever you were crouching. Or every time you open a door, a silhouette of you opening the door pops up. And that's the game's way of letting you know, like, hey, I'm the palace. I just saw you do that. And now I'm going to make the AIs do that um, against you once, you know, it blacks out and reboots. Okay, that's good to know. Because I was was really wondering, like, if you were just really stealthy, no one would ever see you doing anything. And then they would never know. But if, if like, this... You know, like I said, this omniscient AI is seeing you do that. Well, that would that would solve that problem. I guess I guess those developers thought that one through now, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds interesting. I, I definitely am going to check it out 100 percent for sure. Uh, it sounds very, very intriguing, but I am very curious. And I, I one more thing I want to know, like, no, no story spoilers, please. But did you feel like by the time you got to the end of the game, I know you said it felt like it was too long, but did you feel like there was payoff at the end? Like, did the story pay off or did the whatever hooks it had, did you feel like those came around or did they, did they not uh, close that loop? I don't, I don't feel like they closed it. Well, the the beginning of the game focuses a lot with the dialogue between in and London establishing her background, how her grandfather raised her, what kind of society she was raised in, why she ran away, why she didn't like the life. And then as the game goes on, it like kind of, slowly drops all of that and it becomes less interesting because it actually sets up a really interesting sci-fi premise at the beginning about how she's trying to save this guy who saved her and how she's going to do that in the palace and then eventually you find out why he saved her and you know if if um he's worth you know saving and all that stuff but it's kind of one of those games where like as it was rolling i was interested but after being you know off of it for a couple days if i think back to the story Like, it really kind of doesn't make any sense at all. Like, there's really, like, I mean, I'm not going to spoil anything, but I just think back on the story, and I'm like, wow, they put a lot of work into, like, writing the script and making an interesting sci-fi premise, but, like, I kind of don't understand, like, why she did what she did in the first place, and I feel like it could have been better... Like, it's actually kind of surprising how, and maybe maybe it's just one of those things where, like, the game is too smart for me, and I didn't get it because I'm dumb, but, like, it spends a lot of time setting up that narrative, and then just slowly tapers off in the game, and I feel like it could have been a little bit stronger, or could have held out more as the game went on, and that probably would have helped me stay interested, too, because, because the narrative falls off toward the end of the game, I was feeling less interested in what was going on, because it becomes more about just every physical level and less about like why she's doing it, what's going on, her backstory and like her uh, banter with London, the AI. And it left me slightly unfulfilled at the end. Oh man. Okay. Well, that kind of puts a little cold water on it for me. Cause oh, I hate it when games don't like, you know, they don't get there when it comes to the story. Cause I can put up with like gameplay that goes on a little too long. If the story has got me hooked or, or if you get to the end of it and you're like, oh, my God, like, you know, did you ever play the Talos Principle? I did not. I've looked at it about 15 times in the PSN, but I've never bought it or played it. OK, so you know what it's about, right? Uh, I know it's like a robot puzzle game or something, right? <laughs> yeah, the Talos Principle came out a while ago, and it's basically you play a robot who is doing puzzles um I don't want to say exactly why, because there's a pretty good story hook to it. But basically, like, you know, you're in this this giant, I don't know. I mean, it's not a labyrinth. It's just like a bunch of puzzles that are strung together to make a world. 
And the point of it is that you are a robot and you're trying to run these puzzles. And that game, I thought, went on like 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 10 hours too long, probably, <laughs> which is a lot. But I powered through because I was really fucking interested in what was going to happen. I was really fucking interested in like the concept of the game, the story bits that I uncovered as I went along. Um, the puzzles also were really very good as well. I mean, I think they were very smart, oftentimes too smart for me. Uh, I am I'm not ashamed to admit that I looked up an FAQ more than once uh, to figure out what the fuck was going on. But by the time I got to the end of that, like this, the ending was like so fucking awesome. I was like, oh, my God, this is like amazing. Totally pays off everything that happens. I feel like a better person now because I finished this game. I just was totally like so satisfied and so blown away. I was like glowing. Like when I finished that game, I'm like, man. This feels amazing, and I don't regret those extra 10 hours that I put in now because it totally paid off, and, like, it was worth it, you know? Like, I, they could have got there quicker, and it would have been just as good, but what was waiting at the end and how it tied into the rest was so pitch-perfect fantastic. It just immediately erased everything that I was like, you know, all those moments when I was like, okay, I'm ready for this to be over now. Like, I had, you know, definitely more than a few of those moments, especially when I would get stuck. But it really, really brought it home. I, I definitely recommend the Talos Principle to anybody. That game is amazing. I just really like that one a lot. Very, very good. Um, so I can get through games if there's something at the end where if it feels like if they earn it, if they make you go through those hours for a specific reason or, you know, whatever. But if, man, I don't know, like to hear the like, oh, the story didn't pay off at the end. I'm like, ah, it's like the, <laughs> it's like sticking a dagger in my gut. I'm like, oh, no, that's uh, kind of deflates me kind of hard. So, oh, well, well, I mean, you still recommend it, though. It still sounds pretty good. Is this going to be perhaps on your top 10? Uh, it's already on my top five, as a matter of fact. A top five. So it's in the top half. So regardless of the issues, still an overall pretty amazing experience fair to say uh yeah it is unlike anything i've played before i totally recommend it and i think it was incredible all right that sounds good that's good enough for me i will definitely check it out i may not finish it but we'll see uh <laughs> we'll get to it we'll get to it so um let's do a quick time check uh should we wrap it up or do you want to do one more real quickie uh i mean we're sitting in about two hours do you want do you have, can you squeeze your last game in quickly? I'll do it like in two minutes. I'll do it in two okay. minutes. All right. I feel, I feel like I'm ripping off the listeners because, uh, we didn't get the banter at the beginning. And so it's going to seem like a really short show. Plus I didn't play as many games as I normally would have. And so I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm shortchanging them. So I'm going to mention one more thing real quickly, <laughs> just because I love our listeners and I want to make them feel like they got a good episode out of us. <laughs> uh, just a quick shout out for Planet of the Apes Lost, the Last Frontier, excuse me, Planet of the Apes Last Frontier. Um, have you heard about this game, Corey? Brad, you always keep me on my toes. I had, I was not expecting, I don't know what this is, and this was like not the last thing I would expect you to bring to the table. What is this? Okay, so I covered this, uh, I saw it at PAX, the most recent PAX. I got a hands-on demo of the game i got to talk with the president of the the studio who is making this game his name is martin all times very lovely guy very charming uh, he is from the uk i believe i uh, had a great conversation with him uh lovely man so he is making planet of the apes last frontier this is very much like a telltale game as in narrative focus 
you know, making choices, not a lot of like, you know, action gameplay. It's, you know, watching. I think it's pretty fair to say it's an interactive movie. And this is, of course, based on the Planet of the Apes uh, movie property, which I think they just had, what, their third film recently this year? Was that it? Uh, I think so, yeah. Something like that. That's a pretty well-received series. Um, I've only seen the first one, but I liked it a lot. I wouldn't mind seeing the other ones when I get some time. But basically, it is a telltale game starring the Planet of the Apes, apes, and the people who are left on this planet of the apes, where the apes (laughs) live, because they're apes. Um, but the thing that I wanted to talk about was, I mean, everybody's pretty familiar with Telltale games right now. I don't think I need to go into that. You know, you watch a, watch a scene, you make a choice, you move on. The thing that really was of note to me was this is one of the games that's going to be using Sony's PlayLink technology. Um, they talked about this for like 1.7 seconds at the last E3. <laughs> Did you catch it? Do you know what PlayLink is, Corey? I have no idea what this is. I don't know why they even bothered bringing it up because they talked about it so briefly and they didn't really explain what it was and they didn't really go into it. So, okay, so this is going to sound stupid. So just just hold on to that for a minute. (laughs) It's going to sound really fucking stupid. Uh, So let's put all that aside for a second. Did you play Until Dawn? I'm pretty sure you did. Uh, I played most of it, but I did not finish it. Oh, okay, okay. By any chance, did you play that with Patrick on the couch next to you? I did not. I played it by myself with had actually now that i think about it i might have streamed a little bit of it when i played it but i did not play it with anybody sitting next to me okay okay so have you ever played you played you must have played like a telltale game at some point right i played the first season of the walking dead and that's it i think i played one episode of tales from the borderlands now that i think about it did you play any of that with anybody in the couch beside you no i didn't okay okay so this might bounce off you pretty hard, but I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll bring this up anyway. So when I played Until Dawn, I played the entire game with my wife. Number one, because I am chicken shit. Number two, because I wanted just to, to play this with her because it was more of a watching experience rather than a playing experience. I mean, there were definitely some gameplay um, you know, elements to it, but a lot of it was like walking around, talking to people, making choices. And it kind of played out like an extended horror movie. So I thought my wife would be down with that. And uh, we had a great time. We sat together through the whole thing. Whenever a choice would come up, I would be like, what do you think? What do you think? And she would say what she thinks. And then we would just make a choice. Same thing for The Walking Dead. Um, We played through all of Walking Dead season one. And I think I played through, oh, I don't think it was Tales from the Borderlands. It was another Telltale game. I don't remember which one. But we played through together, like where we would like talk about the choices um, in the very limited time that you have, because, you know, there's always a countdown or whatever. And that was just really a fun time. And so Martin, who is the uh, the CEO and the director of the studio, he kind of picked up on that. And he's like, you know, the phrase interactive movie has been something that's been bandied about by games people for quite a while. But it's just, it's kind of a joke and nobody really takes it seriously. But if you look at what Telltale games are, they are interactive movies. And so what's a fun thing to do with a movie, but watch it with a friend. And so the point of uh, Planet of the Apes, Last Frontier, is that it is, it is straight up an interactive movie. They don't make any bones about it. They're like, this is like an interactive movie. And what we're going to do is we're going to use Sony's new PlayLink technology, which uses your phone. Now, stay with me. I know whenever phones come up, people go, (laughs) oh, God, fucking phones, smartphones, uh, second screen experience. I know, I know, I know. But it actually works in this uh, instance because what happened was when we got there to see the game, they gave us some of their phones. Um, We could not install on our own phones because this was like demo technology. So they're like, here, just use these loaner phones. 
we got these phones and they're like, so imagine like you're getting off from work. You want to get together with some friends. You don't want to bring like a console. You don't want to bring a whole bunch of wires or whatever. You don't want to bring, you know, you don't even want to bring your wireless controller. You just want to like show up at a friend's house and chill, right? You just want to like just hang out. And so everybody, you know, almost everybody's got a phone in their pocket these days. It's pretty common. And you would just show up, sync your phone to the PS4, and then your phone screen turns into just like a couple of buttons. It's like, I think, two buttons. And so you sit there with your phone on your lap, everybody chilling out. You got popcorn, you got a slice of pizza, whatever. You're watching Planet of the Apes. Graphics look amazing. You know, some really serious situations show up. There's some combat, whatever. You watch it. And then a choice pops up and there's no time limit. So unlike Until Dawn or unlike Telltale, no time limit. So there's the thing pops up. What do you want to do? Choice A, choice B. And then you just talk. And so part of it is getting to talk with your friends. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think we should do? Why do you think that? Oh, fuck you. You're stupid. Let's do this thing. No, no, you're (laughs) stupid. You do a fist fight, whatever. Kick somebody out of your house and you move on with the game. But I think... That's a really brilliant thing by capitalizing on that. And I, I don't know that I would really be on board with this if I hadn't already played Until Dawn and Telltale like that. But that is like literally how I played those games. And I thought it was a really, really fun time. So the idea that somebody could come over, everybody watching the game would have either a controller or a phone. And you'd only have to push like two buttons on the screen, like super, super simple interface, like blank screen, two buttons, like yes or no, choice one or choice two. Everybody votes after they discuss as much as they want with no rush. And then the movie continues. Uh, You watch the rest of the movie. It's uh, broken up into chunks. So if you have kids, you don't have a babysitter all night long. Maybe you're tired. You only want to play for one or two hours. You you can break it up into chunks and then the chunk will end. You'll feel like you got a good experience and then you can leave, come back and do the next chunk the next time. It just really, really works. And I was really impressed with how simple the phone app was. It really uh, just came together like effortlessly. It made sense for what we were doing. And it was really kind of fun because everybody was kind of looking at like what everybody else was voting. And then it showed who voted what. And then you'd be like, oh, you fucker, why'd you vote that? And like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. And or, you know, or or if you agree, then that'll be fine. It was just a really fun experience. And I think that the idea of interactive movies is one that really works. Um, I don't think it is a joke. I don't think it's silly. I think it's really fun. I think it's really good. And I think if more people would try it, it would be really, really popular. And even though second screen experiences, I think, are traditionally bullshit in the way they have been implemented, (laughs) I think this one really works. With this type of game, with how simple it is on your phone and how little you have to do, and what it ends up being is really just like you bullshitting with some friends and then making choices. I mean, it's it's a great time. I had a great time at that demo. I could easily see me and my wife doing that again because we've done it before and except the next time it would be perfectly designed for what we were trying to do. And I think that uh, this is really something that we might be seeing more of if this one takes off. I think it, it's really uh, a fun time. Really wonderful experience. I would definitely recommend people check out Planet of the Apes. There's going to be a number of other experiences trying to capitalize on this same thing. I think there's one uh, called Hidden Agenda, which is coming from the same people that did Until Dawn, because clearly they knew that I was not the only person out there playing the game this way. There was a number <laughs> of people playing the game this way. Telltale has also been trying to do the same thing, except they took a different tack by offering... The streaming experience where people could vote if you were watching someone stream. I mean, okay, but I think that getting together with people in your house on your couch in real time is better than voting on a stream. I think it makes it more personable. It's more more immediate. It's uh, warmer. Uh, it feels better to me. Um, but regardless, all these people making these kind of games are aware that these are are best played or at least can be best played with other people. And I, I'm glad to see people kind of... Um, keying in on that. So I'm very curious to see which direction turns out to be the correct one. I really like the direction that Sony's taking with this, and I'm very excited to play this with uh, 
my family. What do you think, Cora? Would you and Patrick do something like this? Uh, oh, man. Um, I feel like it's hard enough to get us to sit down and watch TV at the same time. So this is probably not. I mean, I would never like write it off like, oh, we would never do this. But I feel like realistically, it's probably not something we would do. But I also feel like this is the kind of thing that is going to end a lot of friendships and result in a lot of murders between gamer and friends. <laughs> Uh, very possibly, very possibly. I mean, I can see some people getting heated about it, but then again, I mean, that goes for any multiplayer. I mean, if you ever played a fighting game with some friends, there's definitely some fist fights that happen in real life <laughs> after the virtual fist fights. I mean, that just comes par for the course with any multiplayer. Um, but regardless of which way it went, I mean, when we did the demo, there were times when we split, like, you know, one person wanted to take, you know, the peaceful route and one person was the aggressive route. Then we would be like shocked and appalled at who chose what. And then we, you know, laughed it off and kind of kept going. It was interesting. I thought it was pretty interesting. And I think that um, it's going to be short enough to where if you wanted to replay it again and you made different choices, uh, apparently like it would be significant enough that you would feel like it would be worthwhile to watch a second time. So that seems pretty cool. But uh, even if you didn't watch it a second time, just watched it once. I think they're shooting for three or four hours, which is a pretty, you know, longer than a movie, but way shorter than the average game. So like maybe that's going to be a good middle ground. And uh, getting some friends together, I think, would be a good time. So keep an eye out for this. I think PlayLink is great. Um, it, you know, it's people are going to think it's a joke until they see how it works. But I think the trick is just to show people how it works. Because hearing about it sounds stupid. The idea sounds stupid. But once you actually sit down and do it, it was really cool and really fun. So hopefully they can make some inroads and get that concept across to people. And that's it. Planet of the Apes, Last Frontier. You'll be hearing more about it very soon. It's going to be hitting, I think, in November, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. But it's coming out this year for sure. And I'm sure that PlayLink will be right alongside of it. So stay tuned. And that is it for me. That's it. All right. Is that it for the show then? I think that's it for the show. All right. Well, 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 dear listeners, that brings us to another end of a so video games episode and keep in mind that this week as i stated at the beginning of the show we're doing we're trying out we're basically just going to do like a a roulette of different show formats until we find something that we think works um but uh we will have banter at the end of the show so after we talk about how you can get a hold of us we give out our twitter handles and we say goodbye the nice little outro music will come in and then it'll fade into banter. So if you are somebody who's interested in listening to us talk about some uh, daily life stuff that we uh, have been going through for the past week and that kind of stuff, stay tuned for the banter. If you're somebody who doesn't like that, then you can just turn the podcast off whenever the uh, little outro music goes. And most importantly, please, um, if you have a strong opinion or even a weak opinion on any of this, uh, please let us know if you like our original recipe show format if you like last week's format where we just did the cold open and then the intro music and then did actual for real banter and then games talk or if you like this uh don't be afraid to let us know because we can switch it up uh, any week really um and you might be wondering well how can we let you know which format we like well i have an answer for you you can email us at so video games podcast at gmail.com you can also find us on Twitter as a collective show at So Video Games. 
And if you have any anything, even that's not related to show format, if you have any uh, show thoughts, any questions, um, anybody that asks us a question, we usually address it on the show. Uh, any show ideas, any topics, any games or anything that you're interested in us playing, uh, we will, we'd will we love to hear your ideas and talk about it on the show. And if you want to reach us individually, uh, Brad and I both happen to be on Twitter as well. Brad, would you like to give out your Twitter handle? Sure, you can find me at Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's. And I do definitely try to respond to people and say, hey, so that's a great way to reach out and talk to me if you want to uh, shoot me a message or just get in touch. Corey, what's your handle, sir? Mine is also my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And without further ado, that's going to bring us to the end of another So Video Games show, unless you're sticking around for the banter later. But if you're not, then uh, we'll be back next week. But in the meantime, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. See you next time. How are you this evening? Good, man. Good. In a rush, as always. Even uh, even though I know this is coming, I plan for it all week. I'm always late every single night. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I got to start with apologies every single time. That's okay, because we at this point we've both established that we are more or less equally late every time. So, like, if you're like, "Oh, can you give me ten minutes? I have to do this thing," I'm always like, "Oh, look at that! I need to get set up." So it's the perfect buffer for me too. Well, I guess we're both on time then. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Did you grab your coffee? Uh, I'm actually, this is going to sound left field, but I'm drinking apple cider right now. Like actual apple cider, not the alcoholic kind? Uh, not the alcoholic kind. I'm equipped to have the alcoholic kind, but I bought, um, or I guess I should say Patrick bought some, uh, like at Target the other day. They have the Archer Farms, which is like Target's. Uh, primary brand uh, cider for like you know fall and all that like pumpkin stuff is rolling in and he bought it uh, actually specifically to make like warm cider with whiskey and um but he because he works at the plant I don't think we've talked about this um, not that it's that important but whenever he works at the plant the the uh, people that he works with I think there's like four or five people that he works with including his boss and his department they um are on call for certain times of the month like I think they do like one or two week shifts where like one of them's on call and then the next person's on call and whenever they're on call, they can't drink or can't like do anything, um, you know, like that. Uh, because at any point, if something bad happens to, cause I mean, it's a nuclear reactor. If anything happens to it, they have to go in and be able to like work and be alert all the time. So he like bought some cider like last, or I guess it was earlier this week, uh, because tomorrow I think when he gets home from work, he's off shift or off, um, off being on call so he can like drink this week and then like maybe it's like a week or two or three weeks or something out then he'll be like back on call again where he won't be able to so he uh bought the cider for celebration of being not on call for a i guess like hot whiskey cider dang dude being on call like once every couple weeks that is slack that's 
easy, man, <laughs> for my job. I'm on call all the fucking time. I mean, I was on call for like a decade, dude, like with no days off. So. <laughs> I'll go in a couple of weeks between. Oh, that sounds pretty. This sounds pretty nice, actually. <laughs> so it's like we were talking about it earlier. Whenever you're self-employed, then you know how like your wife was making it sound earlier when we were playing Warframe, like. You can live the dream when you're self-employed, except for all of this bullshit that you have to do that people don't tell you when they talk about their self-employed success stories. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. It's all just like it's all the risk and none of the benefit is really all it is. I mean, <laughs> so double the taxes, too. Oh, man. Anyway, what else you been what else you been up to? Um, I, uh, I haven't talked about this. I don't even think I've told you about this off the show. Cause I know off the show, you and I talk about, um, my, uh, like I basically, I've, you know, been trying to find a job since I moved to new Orleans, like a good, you know, like full time, like real kind of career job. And, um, I, I thought you were going to say like a good boy should, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I wish, um, I, w- I was waiting for that. It was going to be cute. <laughs> Too bad I'm a bad boy, so I'm not gonna get a real job. But um, <laughs> I uh, I actually got a like a part time job, which is not it's not anything like super special. But um, I finally got a, like a little part time job, and I'm actually like kind of starting it tomorrow. Kind of, it's like um, I mean, this isn't a job that I'm like super duper proud of, nor is it like something that I plan to do for the rest of my life. But it's gonna be some money, and it's something I'm good at. So uh, I start. Are you working. gonna be standing on a corner, Corey? No, I mean I would rather do that maybe but um <laughs> oh, I, no. uh, this oh, is no. um uh, it's uh, for a company called match uh match marketing or convergence i think they used to be called convergence and now they they've been like acquired by some company a while ago and they're called match marketing and uh basically it's like kind of like retail vendor work where i will not work for a specific store like i won't work for like Walgreens or Target or Walmart, but I'm just a vendor that goes into the store and I'll be doing certain um, cosmetics resets in the stores or like upkeep in the cosmetics departments. And I think that Match has different um, different departments, like because my area manager who lives in East Texas, she emailed me about like Mobile One, like the the car oil thing. So I guess some people work in like automotive and they do like AutoZone and stores like that. And some people do like, I think they do a lot of cosmetics work mostly. Um, wait, 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 wait. Okay, wait, back, back up a second. So you said cosmetics work and I was immediately thinking of like Mac or like, you know, like one of those things like cosmetics as in you're going to a department store to set up something. But what, what do you mean by that? Because you're saying, you said like uh, some other store that I don't associate with cosmetics. Um, well, you're right in cosmetics, like Mac, like, uh, I mean, I won't be working in Mac stores, but I'll be working at like Ulta's, uh, like n- this week, I actually, I'm going to be reporting to three different Ulta stores to do some like makeup work. And basically it's like whenever the planogram or the certain brand or what have you is like kind of, uh, running out or getting old, I think I will go in to reset the merchandise and the graphics and the signing in certain brands and do like sort of like a planogram reset on them. So like I'm doing, um, a brand called Physicians Formula, which is like, a kind of like an all natural makeup brand. And they're in, I mean, they're in a lot of stores, they're in Targets, they're in Walmarts, they're in Ulta's, they're, um, probably in like Walgreens and CVS, but, uh, I'm reporting to three Ulta stores in the area this week to do basically like a kind of like a graphic, um, like replacing some of the graphic signs and kind of cleaning up 
the the pogs and making sure that everything is set to planogram and uh it's kind of weird because whenever i worked at target i did a lot of cosmetics resets and it actually became one of my favorite parts of the store because uh target's cosmetic department was different than any other department in the store and it was really intricate and it was really complicated and i really like that about it but it's weird because i like i kind of don't know what my full expectations are for the jobs that i'm gonna be doing now um because like allegedly this sort of like physician's formula cleanup thing is only supposed to take like an hour to an hour and a half but that seems like not very much time to like get in the store and like make sure everything is set and replace the graphics and like because I have to like check in with the manager and then I have to have them like walk it with me and then sign some paperwork and all this stuff so like an hour and a half does not seem realistic to me for that I feel like I would need a little bit longer than that but I don't know because I haven't been in the store yet um, and I, I hope that everything goes well. I'm just worried because whenever I used to be a presentation team leader at Target, we would have vendors come in every once in a while and uh, do some cosmetic stuff in our store and they did very like very tertiary stuff for cosmetics because we handled about 95% of the actual reset work um, in our store and I remember every time a match person came in, I would just roll my eyes and I'd be like, oh my God, they're here. Ugh, they're going to take up all my time and I'm going to have to like hold their hand and walk them around the store. And I just remember it being a nightmare every time they came in because they always sucked at their jobs. And it was always like this old lady who like wasn't very good at her job or she would like need something that had been shipped to the store and I would have no idea what it was. And then I'd have to like take a half an hour of my day to like go in the back room and look for it and then give it to her. And then I'd have to like walk the pogs with her and everything and it was always just a nightmare. So I'm going to try my hardest to make that situation not happen for the stores that I go into because I don't want to be that guy that comes into a store and to have all the associates in the store be like, oh God, here's this fucking guy coming in again. Like, let's all roll our eyes because he's not going to have any idea what he's doing. Uh, but yeah, so I'm officially like kind of starting work tomorrow. Um, I have like a week to do three jobs. So it's not like I'm going to be doing like nine to five full on work, but I need to like call stores tomorrow and I have to print out paperwork and paperwork is not something that I've been doing recently. And I had to buy a printer the other night because I have not owned a pr the last printer I bought. I was like 18 going to college and I think I threw it away like probably like four years ago because it ran out of ink. And I mean, who uses printers these days? I mean, I'm sure you do because you do a lot of self-employment stuff, but like I had to buy a printer the other night. I have to print out paperwork and I'm going to have to like take a portfolio with like paperwork into these stores. And it just seems very kind of archaic, I guess. Well, newsflash, I actually don't own a printer. Oh. I need one. I need one. I should have one, but they suck. They totally suck. They suck, I mean, yes. <laughs> because you buy a printer and it works for like three sheets and then something jams or the ink gets clogged. And, I mean, those are the kind of machines where like they need constant maintenance. And if you're not maintaining, they break. And so like I, you know, I went through, I think, three printers in a row. Uh, you know, and not even using them that, mu that much. I mean, not even really printing that much. Certainly not heavy duty. It's just like somebody needs W9 for something or somebody needs something, you know, PDF, you know, page here, page there. And then like the things just don't work. So after like three, two or three printers in a row of just like them breaking really quickly, I'm like, fuck it. Every time I need something, I just go down to like uh, the nearby copy store and I'll just print something and, you know, whatever. So I don't... Uh, I don't uh, waste any more money on printers, but congratulations on the new gig. I think that seems like it would be a good fit for you. You know a lot about makeup. You know a lot about uh, retailing and that kind of thing. Seems like a good, uh, good little gig. Yeah, thank you. I'm a. Uh, I mean, I'm like tentatively excited for it because it basically takes 
all of my favorite stuff about working for Target and like none of the stupid bullshit for working at Target and basically me doing that. Because like at Target, I loved doing resets. I loved getting kind of down and dirty and like, you know, pulling all the, the shelves apart, pulling all the product off, resetting everything, reading the planograms and like really like doing the physical work. But I hated all of the extra dumb like manager shit I had to do on top of it. Like I hated you know, writing reviews. I hated hosting, um, like huddles, which we called them where we like talked about stuff during the day and like stuff that everybody needs to know. And I hated writing and sending emails and going to meetings and like planning really heavily for all these resets and having to like take call-ins and people didn't want to show up for work. So this is basically like all of the stuff I love doing and like none of the extra bullshit. And I just hope that like I get into a good like swing of things because I'm going to be doing work at a lot of different kinds of stores and hopefully um, I can, you know, make a good rapport with everyone in the stores I'm working at. And instead of being the guy that, you know, they roll their eyes when I walk in the door, hopefully I'll walk in the door and they'll be like, oh, thank God this guy's here. He's going to fix these things for us. So <laughs> <laughs> you want it to be, oh, thank God Corey's here. And it's not, oh, that makeup bitch is here again. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is that is the idea, because um, I mean, Match, like they, I, I can't speak a ton for their company, but I, I'm under the impression, and this is probably going to make me sound kind of rude and kind of um, arrogant, but I'm kind of under the impression that this is one of those com companies that like isn't super selective about who they hire. I mean, I think that they kind of hire people that have no retail experience or have no resetting experience, and they're just kind of fumbling through what they do, and they don't really understand like how retail stores and practices work. But me coming from, you know, I worked at Target for 11 years and two of that was being, you know, a key caring manager of two teams. So hopefully I can actually get in the store and really understand what's going on and, you know, kind of the ins and outs rather than just being like that kind of shitty worker that shows up and has no idea what they're doing and fumbles through it and leaves. So I'm kind of hoping that'll, uh, that'll help help me in these situations. Well, right on, man. Good luck. That sounds exciting. Uh, definitely have to keep us posted on how that goes. Oh, I man. will do that. You know, just uh, to talk, keep it on the, the job tip for a second, I know that you were sending pictures out with your, your cool-ass portfolio. Anything ever turn <laughs> up with that? Uh, did I talk about how I might be getting a shot published in Thrasher magazine yet? No, do tell. Um, well, Thrasher, which is the most um, uh, the most famous skateboarding magazine. I don't even really know if there are any other skateboarding magazines. I'm not. I shoot skateboarding a lot, but I don't really know anything about like skate culture. But Thrasher is like the big like skating brand and skating magazine, and they have a thing on their website where you can submit a portfolio or you can submit a like a single shot to them. Uh, and they have a section called, I think it's called like photo graffiti or something. Like you would think I would know the name of the section, but I actually don't. But I looked it up and I sent them an email and sent them a link to my portfolio of just like just skating pictures and told them, because um, I guess you can keep sending them stuff over and over again as uh, sort of like consideration for a freelance position. And so I sent them my portfolio and I was like, hey, you know, I'm not really interested in you publishing a single picture, but here's my portfolio for freelance. You know, if you're if you have anything going on in New Orleans and need somebody to shoot or in the area, like, you know, I feel comfortable about showing off my work and here we go. And they emailed me back like the next day and um, said that they liked one of my shots out of the portfolio and that they were interested in publishing it, just the single shot in um, in their section. And I thought that they meant like, 
online because they have like the photo graffiti thing online. And I was like, oh, well, you know, okay. I, I, at first of all, I was like, cool, like that's fine. Because they, they were like, we understand if you don't want us to post it, you know, we can discuss it because um, I had just sent them my portfolio. But uh, I was cool with it. So I said, yeah, you can, you, can, uh, you can post it. I'll send you a better, you know, a higher quality version of it. And, you know, we can kind of go from there. And then they emailed me back and they're like, okay, it'll be in like two or three issues, but we'll let you know. And I was like, oh, like, like in the actual magazine. So um, there's I, like, I'm not, it's one of those things where like, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. But allegedly in like a month or two, I might have a shot in uh, published in Thrasher, which is awesome. That the kind of downside is that like it's not something I get paid for. It's just like a thing that you you submit and then they publish, and it's kind of like a you know I scratch your back, you scratch mine, but we're not gonna like trade any money here. Um, are you are you working for exposure, Corey? I mean, right now I am. I've been working for exposure since I was like sixteen. You know, in both writing and photography, but. Uh, on the, on the flip side, I did um, submit a portfolio to, um, I don't know how many people know this, but Red Bull, like the energy drink, um, they have a whole like Red Bull athletics team and they sponsor a lot of extreme sports athletes and like some of the free runners, like the really famous free runners that I, you know, follow on Instagram and on uh, Facebook and YouTube and stuff, they're sponsored by Red Bull and like Red Bull hosts what's called the Art of Motion, which is in Santorini, Greece, which just happened about like last week or the week before. And it's like the biggest free running competition in the world. And uh, they um, they opened their uh, Red Bull photography portfolio submission process w- once a year for one month, and that's it. And uh, it just so happens that it's during the month of October. So I sent them my portfolio about a week ago, and I think they won't be getting back to me until like uh, November to December. Cause I'm sure that they get like a bajillion, you know, portfolio submissions and everything. So, I mean, I'm not holding my breath for that, but there is a possibility that they could, um, you know, want to have me do work for them if my, uh, if my portfolio is good enough for them. So I'm looking forward to that too. That is fantastic. I am looking forward to that. When that issue of Thrasher comes out, dude, let me know which, uh, which dude was it a picture of? Uh, he's just a skateboarder in New Orleans named Tony Styles. He's not like famous or anything, so it's not like you know. I mean, he's a good skateboarder. I don't want to like talk him down or anything, but um, he's not like a like a pro famous skateboarder. But I have a picture of him jumping. It was during a what, what they called the Kitty Pool Jam, which they uh, literally set up ramps and set up like those little blue kitty pools with water, and you're supposed to like jump and do tricks over the pool. And it sounds really silly, but it was a pretty fun thing. And I have a shot of him coming off the ramp, going over the kiddie pool. And there's a guy in the pool drinking a beer and they're both holding their hands out. Like they're going to high five. And I got the shot like right before their hands touched. And it's, uh, it's pretty neat. So, uh, that is the one that they chose that they want to publish. Sweet, sweet. Well, well I will look forward to that, man. Let me know when it comes out. That sounds awesome. We'll um, do. We'll do. I plan on buying one or two or three issues myself. And I didn't tell Tony that it was getting published. So I hope that he reads Thrasher and just opens it one day and sees his picture in it. So that'll be pretty cool for him, I think. Oh, man. Amazing. Huh. <laughs> well, excellent. I mean, I, I don't know how many people read Thrasher, but yeah, I mean, that would be pretty cool. Although I could imagine that being like the first impression being like, oh, my God, that's me. That's not me. Is that me? That's me. (laughs) And then the second thing being that fucking Corey didn't tell me he's going to print that. That motherfucker got paid. Where's my money? Like, that's going to be like the sequence of events, dude. Yeah, I hope not. Because sometimes, I mean, I think, I mean, I'm sure you know this as well as I do that, you know, when it comes to stuff like that and 
I mean, if I told him that I didn't get paid, I'm sure that it would be fine, you know, especially because it would be true. But like, you know, there's some things like that, like where, you know, when uh, when money or when exposure comes into play, you know, people get weird. Like the the guys that do parkour here, the Nolan Ninjas, um, they submitted a video for a uh, there's a parkour group called the Modus Project. And they do a lot of uh, like they do some video competitions and stuff every once in a while. And they submitted a, a video for the Modus Project competition recently. And I don't think the like the finalists are out or the lists or anything for it. But um, like they get uh, money if they win in the category that they go for. And I guess the guy that like shot and edited the video, who's also a parkour athlete, like thought that he was just going to like get all the money. And one of the athletes in the video, who's a friend of his was like, Hey, so like, I guess he had mentioned like, well, what, like, how are we going to split the money? And the guy who shot the video was like really caught off guard because he was like, what split the money? Because like, he thinks he's entitled to all the money because he like shot and edited the video, even though he wasn't performing in the video. So yeah, when it comes to stuff like that, I mean, people, people can get really weird really fast. Well, let me know how it goes with that guy. I mean, I could, you know, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes people want a heads up and that really helps like LA any potential problems. But, uh, at the same time, I mean, I don't know. I mean, photography is kind of weird because the photographers end up owning like all the rights to the picture, even though, well, I mean, it, I guess it kind of depends. I mean, there's this weird thing that happened in Seattle where, like, this guy had this installation of art that was a really well-known... He made, he made these little, like, brass dancing steps that were embedded into the sidewalk. So, like, you'd be walking down the sidewalk, and then you would see, like, these brass footprints that were, uh, like, put in a pattern of, like, you know, like the foxtrot. And it would be, like, a bunch of foots footsteps, and it would be, like, number one, number two, number three, number four... So it was almost like, you know, like what somebody's feet would be doing if they were doing the dance, right? So it was kind of a cool little thing. Um, and some photographer took a picture of people who were, like, following those footsteps on the sidewalk. So it's out in public, people he didn't know who were following the footsteps. And then the guy who did the footsteps saw that picture and he sued the guy that did the photos because he said that he owned the rights to that. And it was like this giant fucking mess. And it just ended up being... <laughs> It went from being something really cool and neat and just, you know, kind of innocent almost to this giant fucking legal snafu and it got really ugly and everybody got pissed off. And I don't even know how it ended up, but I just remember thinking how fucking absurd it was. And that guy should have just been happy that somebody was taking a picture of his fucking footsteps because it's not like he was getting royalties off those or anything. I mean, like he made those like like 20 years ago and they've just been there, you know, like it's not like I mean, I think after a certain time, people kind of own that. But anyway, point being. When it comes to photos, the law gets really weird about who owns what on those. So I don't know. Maybe maybe check it out um, and just kind of find out what the legalities of that are. So Yeah, I'm pretty sure that, I mean, whenever it comes to art installations, I'm actually not sure what the legal precedent is. But as far as like the stuff I'm doing, um, uh, I, as far as I know, I mean, whoever presses the shutter button on the camera owns the full copyright to the picture no matter what. And if I'm taking a picture of something that is in a public space, uh, technically I can't get sued for it. I mean, that's how the paparazzi get away with what they do because like, yeah, there might be, it might be really obnoxious for 200 photographers to be taking a picture of like, you know, like Lindsay Lohan on the sidewalk or something, but technically like she's in a public space. She's not like in her house or in her bathroom or whatever. So technically like the law is on the photographer's side. But I'm not sure, yeah, like, I don't know what would happen if, like, something like that happened to me, like, if I took a picture of some kind of, like, art installation, because technically, I mean, 
the artist kind of owns the copyright to their installation, but I don't really know what the legal precedent is for a photograph or something like that. So um, luckily I'm not in that situation, but I doubt, I mean, the guy who I photographed anyway, Tony, like, I'm pretty sure he's like 18. So like, I doubt he'd be like, oh, I'm going to sue you for this picture. I mean, he, he has like no legal bounds to sue me for it, but. Um, uh, well, he's 18, you know, buy him a, <laughs> buy him some vape juice and he'll be fine. <laughs> It's all water under the bridge. If you get me my vanilla dragon mist, it's all fine. <laughs> oh, my God. That's really funny because it's, like, true. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All right. My I'm, friend of my... Uh, well, go, well, well, oh, I was on. just going to say, I'm sorry for taking out so much time talking about stupid bullshit cosmetics and photography, but um, we can move on if you want. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, nothing, um, nothing really to say on my end. I mean, we spent most of the day today. Actually, this most of this weekend weatherproofing i mean that welcome to being a grown-up for jesus sake i mean <laughs> you know winter's coming and it really came on really fast like a couple weeks ago i was like sitting around and sweating and being really hot and then like a couple days went by when it kind of dipped a little bit and then like the next day i got up and i'm like fuck it's cold in here like really cold so our building was built i don't know maybe 40 years ago or something and at the time it was you know clearly not the best materials and uh the walls do not have great insulation. The windows don't have great insulation, which is really ironic because in the summertime, it's hot as fuck inside. And on the wintertime, it's it is cold as fuck inside. It seems like it seems like that would work out differently. Like maybe in the summertime, the heat would disperse, but it stays in really, really well. But then in the wintertime, it's just freezing all the time. So we just spent the entire weekend uh, buying little plastic sheets to put over the windows to kind of add like an extra layer of insulation got out the heaters that we use we put up these um curtains in the house where like you you block off your doorways and your uh hallways and you you don't make them airtight but it's like if you don't have to heat your entire house because you're not in your entire house you just like kind of close off those uh those pathways so that you don't have to like have all the heat escaping into those cold rooms it saves you like so much electricity and it's, uh, or, you know, if that's what you use to heat or we have a fireplace also, but, um, if you, if you put a curtain, like a really thick curtain up and it blocks off the whole doorway, like to the hallway or whatever room you're not using. Um, uh, and then you, you totally reduce the amount of space that you're trying to heat. Like it saves a lot of energy and it heats up a lot quicker and it's much easier to maintain like one or two rooms being nice and cozy rather than your whole fucking house. <laughs> so uh, not really exciting, but that's a grown up tip. I'm going to pass on from me to you for when you get old and gray. You can be like, oh, yeah, Brad told me about that. Yeah, let's do that. And then you'll save on your heating bill and you'll think fondly of me in 20 years. <laughs> Whenever uh, uh, when I used to work at Target, we would always get seasonally those um, like the weather stripping, uh, like yep. the, the sheets for the for the windows and for like your like patio door and stuff. And I've never used one, but. There was one year, I think, when Patrick and I almost did when we still lived in the Midwest when it got cold every winter. Um, so do, do you just, like, put it up? Do you really use, like, a hair dryer to, like, seal it into place? Is that how you guys do it? Yeah, I mean, it, you just, it comes with a little s strip of sticky tape that's sticky on two sides. You put the tape around the, uh, you know, the uh, border of the window. You put up a piece of plastic, and it's special plastic that does shrink when you apply heat to it. And so... The point being is that you, you seal off the window so that if there's any cold drafts, it will not come through. Also, by trapping a layer of air in there, it's a really good insulator, so that'll help keep the heat in. And then you shrink the plastic to make sure that it stays nice and tight and there's no leaks and that uh, it's sealed. So, yeah, yeah, it works. Works pretty well. So we did that on, 
all the windows that we were going to do it on. And, uh, it, you know, it seemed like you're like, oh, yeah, we're going to bust it out in two hours. We'll be done. Yeah, no, it was like an all day <laughs> fucking thing. You know, a couple hours. We had to move a bunch of furniture because windows were behind the furniture. I had to move my desk because there was a window behind that. And that was kind of a pain in the ass. And then we got about halfway done. And then we realized that um, we didn't have enough. So then we had to, like, stop everything and go back to Home Depot, which was, like, a whole adventure unto itself. I mean, it was, like, weirdest fucking people at Home Depot. It was just, like... <laughs> You get, like, some yuppie couples, and then there's, like, some, like, crusty old contractor dudes, and then there's, like, just, like, druggies and weird people, and just I, people I don't even know why they're even in there, just people coming in in high heels, people coming in, like, with no <laughs> shoes. I just, Home Depot is fucking weird, dude. I don't know if it's weird where you are, but it's fucking weird out here, like, really weird. Um, but otherwise, I mean, nothing else going on. I gotta say, I'm really excited about this week, though, because um, I may have mentioned it on the show before. I'm sure that I did, but... As a self-employed person, I work basically from contract to contract, and uh, I had a contract for the last, oh gosh, I don't know, year, year and a half, which was great because it was super close to my house. It was like four minutes away from my house, so my commute was like nothing, which was fantastic because Seattle has terrible traffic. It was really easy to do. The people were really nice. I mean, it was basically like this cake gig, which just kind of fell into my lap. Unfortunately... It's over now. Uh, last Friday was the last day, so that was over. Um, the one bummer about that gig, though, was like I had to get up at like 4 o'clock in the morning to get there in time, to get there by 6. Even though it's only four minutes away, it was like I had to get up, had some paperwork to do, got to get dressed, got to get a shower, got to get some breakfast, you know. And then, you know, I don't like to just get up and dash out the door, so I wanted to have, you know, enough time to drink a cup of coffee, et cetera, et cetera. So I went from being like a hardcore night owl, which I have been my entire life, to being someone who had to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go to work. Really, really rough for like the first week or two weeks. That was like killer. But then I got used to it. And um, now that's over. Uh, I think I'm going to just keep doing that. Um, reason being, like my son is older now. He is eight. And he is just like, he's in that biological phase where he's full of energy he can go 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 he's just you know always doing stuff and so he just like outlasts me at night like if I try to sleep if I try to stay up past him he will just he'll either stay up later than I will or he'll just be up so long that I'll be like so tired by the time that he's going to bed because I'm like entertaining him or hanging out with him or interacting with him or whatever um it's not just like quiet chill out time right so it's like by the time that he goes to bed then I'm like too wasted to do anything so I think <laughs> I'm going to keep my 4 a.m. schedule, and now that I'm transitioning back to, like, more of a traditional, like, 9 or 10 a.m. start time, I'll have, like, all these extra hours in the morning to do something, and that's going to be my catch-up time for all my editing at Game Critics to play all my review games, um, and just to get caught up on stuff that I need to do. So I think I'm going to keep it like that for now. And I'm excited because I just I haven't really had a lot of time lately. I've been very busy. Um, falling behind on the editing, falling behind on um, personal game playing, falling behind on game playing for game critics. So a couple extra hours will be really, really worth it. I'm really looking forward to getting that time back. Um, but we'll see. I'm kind of in negotiations for a new contract. And if I get this new contract, it'll run from probably 5 p.m. until 8 a.m. So it'll be like the complete opposite of what I've been doing. So that'll be <laughs> you may like for, if I get that contract and if it works out, you will you will have tired, tired Brad on the show um, for at least one or two weeks. But we'll see. But that's uh, I don't know. That's about it for me, man. Not really a whole lot going on. I mean, it's kind of just really, really busy week. So I'm sure we will get into it once we uh, 
start talking about the games themselves. But yeah, that's that's it. Pretty quiet otherwise. Excellent. Well, do you think we should get the show proper started at this point? Let's talk about some games. All right. All right.